Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast and Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, January the 28th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you guys staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are going deep down the rabbit hole with my man, Sergio Rojas, is in the house. But before I jump into that, a quick reminder, you guys already know what I'm going to say. We're brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. The one thing I take every single day, if you guys struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables, which, let's be real, almost all of us do, this would be the one thing I would throw into your life to cover the gaps in your nutrition. Still eat real food as much as possible, but for what you miss, this is a nice way to kind of bridge the gap of your micronutrients. We're talking about one easy scoop or just grab a travel pack, rip it, throw it in some water, drink it, and you guys are good to go. 75 whole food ingredients with probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health. It's tough to beat. If you guys want to check it out, right now we'll give you a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott or... Maybe this is the first podcast you've listened to or you've heard me say this 8 million times by now. If you want to try a free pack, hit me up. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, contact page on the website. I'll have Monica send you a free pack to try right to your front door. I don't care where you live. We'll get it to you. It'll cost you nothing, and then you can get hooked up with all the free stuff from there. It's easily the best tasting greens on the planet. We've all drinking much, much worse things in college, and this is actually good for you. So if you put yourself through that hell when you were a young knucklehead, this is actually going to help your life. So the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up or message me for a free sample pack today. So uh, my man Sergio is in the house. Welcome, brother. Thank you, man. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm good, man. Thank you for making the trip, dude. Uh, so... I'm going to put all your stuff in the show notes for these guys, but if you want to go like origin story, who is Sergio, how do we end up here today, you can go as far back or, or as, as close back as you want to go. Yeah, man, thanks. Uh, let's see where to start. I think, to me, I like talking about how I got into fitness uh, many, many, many years ago. What year was your, because you've been in the game longer than me. Yeah. So and I, there's not I, a lot of people at this point <laughs> that I talk to. Yeah, I got certified in 1996, so Jeez. 25 years, 26 years, this will be my 26th year. Yeah, it's been a while. The game has changed a lot. Yeah, right? Yeah. Jeez. It's pretty amazing. Um, back then, personal training was everything, and I was pretty new at it and became a pretty top-notch trainer uh, quick in my career. But the way I got into it was kind of weird. I was actually I'm a, uh, studying for college, uh, studying to be a psychologist, and I was studying fine arts. I wanted to be an art therapist, and I studied theology because I wanted to be a spiritual art therapist. And I was managing bands, doing art for musicians, waiting tables and bartending, and partying way too hard. And one day I just looked in the mirror, and I said, holy poop, um, man, I am out of shape. So I had man boobs, cellulite around my, my rib cage, and I realized I was actually dealing with a lot of anger and depression. And a friend of mine kind of encouraged me to go work out the next day, and we did. And I just signed up for a fitness challenge, cleaned up, and I said, you know what, I'm going to save up for a motorcycle because I had always dreamed of having one. I could never afford one. And three months later, four months later, I dropped about 25 pounds, half my body fat, and I bought myself a motorcycle. I was riding at night, and I said, see, this is what's going to get rid of my anger and depression. And as I sat and said into that thought, a deeper, more wise voice said, no, no, no. Think about it for a second. I hadn't been angry or depressed for now a few months. 
And I made that connection that our physical health and our emotional health were deeply connected. So as I looked around, I saw a lot of people struggling not only physically but emotionally. And a few months later, I said, you know what? I want to do this for a living. And I called my brother, who was the athletic trainer for the U.S. national soccer team, said, James, well, Jamie, uh, how do I get certified as a trainer? And he recommended NASM, and that was how I got in, man. Uh, started as a trainer, got certified in nutrition right away as well, uh, got deep into functional movement. Uh, I was doing Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation. Brought that into my fitness because I wanted people to really be physically, spiritually, and mentally fit, not just badass buff bodies, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and how old are you when you start doing this? Like 22, 23, 24? 24, 25 is when I uh, Yeah, 24, 25 is when I started going through this transition, and by, I was 26 when I got certified, oh, right before I turned 26. And so your brother is already in fitness? He's an athletic trainer, yeah. So he went into uh, athletic training for, college, for soccer right away. He was a soccer buff his whole life and worked for the U.S. national soccer team. He was an athletic trainer for the MLS with the Miami Fusion, then the Colorado Rapids. So he was my go-to guy of like, hey, where do I go get certified by the right place? Well, especially because back then, you imagine if you tell like your parents or your friends, like, I'm going to do fitness for a living, they look at you like you're a moron, <laughs> right? They thought it was just one of my nine jobs that I've already had. I started working at 10 years old, man. So my parents just thought, okay, yeah, she can help you pay for college. And that's kind of what it was for, right? I knew I wanted to help people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But I still had this dream of becoming a PhD or PsyD with psychology and fine arts and theology. And I was going to just tell people to go get fit also because I saw the connection. Um, and funny thing, when I finally graduated, I was 30 years old. I'd been doing it now for four years. Um, and my professor, who was actually a personal training client of mine, said, Serge, before you jump into graduate school, why don't you put two feet into fitness? Because I think you'll help more people that way. And, and I, from our sessions and our conversations, it really seems like your ultimate goal is to really help people become healthier and happier um, and help a lot of people. He's like, you'll do a lot better job in fitness with teaching the way you teach than listening to some one person at a time tell you their problems on a couch. Well, essentially, you're doing the same thing but just in a like a fitness format i mean coaching people one-on-one -on -one, it, it is almost therapeutic in a way and we always argue here if we film stuff for instagram uh we'll show it and people be like well that person's not working that hard and the young coach in me would agree at 24 25 i'm like well they should be coming in here crushing it we all should be you know Colleen Foshes and the Hannah Edens of the world. But the truth is, is like whatever they need to get out of it, it's what they need to get out of it. And so there's some people who come here just to move around a little bit and just talk shit yeah. and just like kind of unleash. But that is fitness. It's may it not be, might not be all physical, but it's emotional. Like it's spiritual fitness, whatever it may be. So I'm assuming you tie in a lot of the, the stuff you were, the stuff you were planning on doing anyway. Uh, whether it be the art stuff, I don't understand how that's a career. <laughs> um, but the like the psychology of it with your fitness, I'm sure you tie in a huge component to that and probably always have even from a young age. Yeah, absolutely. That's what my dad said about art too. He's like, what are you going to do with art? Well, what was the plan? Like what? So say it again. I don't so, even understand. Yeah, so there's art therapy. It's one of the types of psychology. And because I grew up as an artist, I used to draw and paint. I started painting oil and acrylic paintings at 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Um, and my dad said, you can't do that as a career. You're not, you know, so I combine it with psychology and I found out there's a field in psychology called art therapy. So there's two different formats of it. One is you show somebody these scribbled weird paintings and drawings and you see what they what comes what they perceive out of it. And the other format of art therapy is you tell somebody to draw 
something and then you analyze it and stuff. So I didn't, I didn't go deep enough in graduate school with that. So I couldn't give you much more details than that, but I knew that there was a career with art and psychology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get the therapeutic, like to, I mean, like that's what art is. Like it's to, like if you sing or you dance or if you honestly like bodybuilding, if you want to go that route um, or paint or draw, like it's, there's thera- it's therapeutic in doing that for sure. I just didn't know it was that deep. Yeah. Like if some, somebody has a, um, like a bad habit, like a, a kid who is 10, 12, 13 years old and still peeing in the bed every right? Then you come in, you have them do some drawings, and then you try to analyze what the drawings are and how you connect it to the psychology of why are you still peeing in your self in bed or whatever, you know? <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you make the decision, hey, I'm going to go all in on fitness at, what, 30 years old? Yeah. And where, what's the first... I guess, place you work when it's the only job you have and it's the only thing you're doing? Is it like a big box? I don't, like, cause what year is this? This is 1999. Dude. 2000. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually 2000. I'm probably still peeing the bed. <laughs> I mean, probably from drinking too much, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was already um, a personal trainer at a health club chain called Lakeshore Athletic Clubs in Chicago. And there was, they only had three or four locations at the time. And we got, we got a fifth location I became the head trainer um, even while I was going to college um, for the one of the locations. And then when I put both feet in, they made me the director of personal training for all five of the facilities. And they were very, very high end, really nice health clubs. Um, so I was doing that. And then I got a part time gig as a strength coach for the WNBA Chicago Sky. Uh, and then I got a gig on NBC in Chicago doing a weekly fitness segment. So. I was all in in fitness and wellness and nutrition and mindfulness and stuff like that. So, and from there you just continue on, and eventually you end up opening up your own gym, your own facilities, and those types of things. Yeah. So, at one point, I started doing corporate wellness for clients of mine, and I knew that I wanted to kind of build my own business. And I started in 2008 is when I left the box and I started training at independent gyms, was raising money and built and saving up money to open up my own facility and doing corporate wellness. Uh, and then I eventually got appointed to the white house. So I ended up in DC for a little bit. I remember that. Like I, yeah. yeah tell that story. So when Obama was running, um, he's from Chicago. So I just Googled fitness, nutrition, wellness, and white house. And the president's council on fitness, sports and nutrition came up and I'm like, all right, whatever this is, Oh, I remember. It's the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, right? They kind of helped champion fitness. So, Oh, like in school we used to do like the mile run. The President's Fitness Challenge, right? Reach. That they was part of it. They still do that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that thing was badass, dude. Right. <laughs> I wish you do that here. Like, yeah, we should right. do it as a thing. Anyways, go on. So uh, I just, uh, I sent a letter over there and they said, Here, well, here's what you need to do. You need to get right letters of recommendations, this and this and that. And so I applied for what I was think, what I thought would be the board. And I knew that the board of directors was a volunteer type position. You go four times a year to different events, once or twice are in DC and a couple times around the country. And most of the board are like celebrities and doctors, but they bring in, you know, fitness people as well. And I thought I had enough credentials at the time. So I applied and then they flew me out to DC. I had an interview with um, Captain Sibelius's assistant, which is the head of health and human services, uh, Dr. Howard Coe. And him and I just hit it off. This guy's from Harvard and he just, for some reason, loved my passion for fitness and wellness and nutrition and thought I could make a difference. And he brought me back a second time. But what I didn't realize was I was being interviewed for the director position, the executive director, not just a volunteer. So then they made me the offer and I said, whoa, I can't turn this down. 
and I took the position as executive director and president's council on fitness, sports, and nutrition. And about five months into the position, I get a, an email from the uh, attorneys at Health and Human Services that, hey, we got to talk. And so I went to their offices and they go, we have a little bit of a conflict of interest. And they go, don't worry, you're not in trouble. This happens more than you can imagine. Uh, but you're, you're in an appointed position and you have a wellness business. So you have to get rid of it or you know, you got to give up the position and you can't have any stock in anything to do with fitness, wellness, nutrition. Well, I was like, wow. And oh shit. Yeah. So Dude, these criminals do this bullshit stock buying stuff all the time. It now. is the craziest thing that I'm like, I'm the fitness nutrition guy. I'm not like an, not the speaker of the house. <laughs> yeah. I go and they're like, yeah, it's just that the, the environment was so hostile from both the extremities of both parties. Cause I think maybe it was Bush one, I mean, Bush two or Obama, right there's when it really went crazy with left and right getting so divided. That's like, oh, eight. Yeah, oh, eight was Obama. But I think even like when Bush two was in office, yeah. the, le the extreme left went nuts on Bush two, right? Yeah. And then Obama came in, the extreme right went crazy on Obama. I mean, like, I'm right in the middle, brother. I, I voted both sides, I, yeah. not to get crazy into politics, but... I'm pretty much in the middle. I think wisdom is in the middle. Anybody extreme left, extreme right is going a little too wacky. It's life in general. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. And when I got to the White House, I remember on the lawn, there was the most racist signs, thousands of people talking about get this N-word monkey out of our White House. Just, I, I just started crying. No shit. I'm like, man, the ignorance and, and, and the hostility is out of control. It's like early 2000s. Yeah. No, that was... Yeah, it was 2009 when I went. That's to, fucking nuts, It was man. beyond crazy that I saw that. And, you know, so anyways, uh, I, I made a choice. I had invested all my money into this gym, and I, we started building out, and I came back to Chicago and started my gym, and that was, It's know. a better choice. Yeah, I was, I was happy with that. I was glad to be out of the politics. I loved the initial joy of the first few months there, and I, I think it would have been a great few years if I would have stayed there, but everybody that I know that was there got tired of the red tape and realized that there's, you don't get much done in politics, man. There's too much BS. <laughs> well, that's what I think. Like I'm not a political person, but I imagine you have all these, it's just the game is rigged, right? So like you think like, Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change all these things. And then you become an adult and they bring you in a room and they're like, Hey buddy, this is how it really works. And you're like, well, shit, no, I can't get anything. Done. This sucks, dude. <laughs> I'll tell you one quick story. I was in the let's move campaign um, with Michelle Obama and stuff. She wasn't in this meeting, but a few of the pe her team were, and we're talking about um, good, putting these check marks on food, and they're trying to get people healthy. And I'm like, "Hey, I got a problem with that." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "We're putting health checky marks approved by the American Heart Association, and we're supporting that when we're taking the fat out of yogurt and making it low-fat yogurt." I go, "We're actually creating insulin spikes, and that's going to make things worse." Oh, no, no, but people have too much fat in their diet. And I go, no, 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 let's, let's realize what's the problem here. And it was so crazy that I saw the next day two or 300 attorneys for the dairy industry, um, lobbyists, just leaving one of the Congress halls and stuff. I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. This is a machine. Well, that's like kind of the problem, like where you go back now, you can pull up all these studies that like these industries funded to make like, well, fat is the enemy but like the sugar industry like funds it and like it's this whole huge shit show and that's the boat we're in because we basically fucked people up and we told them all these different things even though we knew the truth but we're just trying to market it to them so they'll buy it and pick it up yet it's not what's great for them and again what are you going to do 
in a meeting when there's 300 people saying the other thing, like you're just the fitness guy. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> exactly. That's crazy, dude. So you leave that, you go back to Chicago. You're like, Hey, I'm doing my gym. I'm just rocking and rolling. Yeah. And then we, we got a con we got contracts to manage, um, corporate fitness centers in Chicago. So there's, uh, three or four, four high rises. One of them was really tiny. Um, but three of them were pretty big gyms inside of corporate high rises. So we got the contract to manage those. Um, so business was going really well for a while. And, um, I got offered a job, a contract with my corporate wellness to build a wellness program for a trucking company. And I started consulting for them. And after four months, the owner of the company says, hey, will you move? And it was Iowa. I'm like, I'd never even heard, I'd never even heard of this Be town. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> actually, Dubuque, Iowa, where I lived for a few years, was really beautiful. It's actually much hillier than I ever expected. We had two ski resorts within 20 minutes of our house. The elevation was only 600 feet, but... For the kids to learn skiing was fantastic. Um, Summertime, the Midwest is great. Oh, yeah. And it's the other. Yeah. The, the bluffs along the river, Mississippi River, were gorgeous. So we summered, you know, we'd go skiing in, in the winters and then boating in the summertime. Um, but this trucking company asked us to move there. And I'm like, what? I'm, I got a business I'm starting here and building clientele. And I got my gyms in Chicago. He's like, well, what would it take for you to move here? So I worked it out with one of my employees to start buying me out a little bit in the gym, or at least buy a partnership and help run it, and moved to Dubuque, and we built a wellness program for truck drivers, over 700 truck drivers, and it went really, really well. We reduced turnover. We um, helped reduce accidents. I got recognized by the National Highway Traffic Safety Association, their nonprofit called NETS, um, brought me in to keynote speak for a couple different conferences for them. Because we help truck drivers, man, lose hundreds of pounds. I mean, we had one guy lose over 200 pounds. Dozens of them lost over 100 pounds. But more importantly, they've kept it off since then. And they've gotten off most of their medications, which is, to me, my, my joy. My biggest pride is, and I still stay in touch with a lot of these truck drivers. They're just hu amazing human beings that sacrifice so much. Well, they, those are, they tend to be, I'm generalizing here. My old man drove a truck for 33 years. And so, smoke cigarettes, drink booze every day. Not the healthiest dude of all time. Much better now as he's <laughs> old as shit. Uh, but they're not the healthiest people. No, not even close. They tend to be the worst. Yeah, pretty much. So what do you, you know, we got to go into super great detail, but how do you even start? To me, that's like you got a fire hose just blowing water everywhere and you're trying to like dry out the room. Like how do you even, because those guys, their hours suck. They're on the road. They don't have access to probably the nicest gyms. There's not a, a person there with them, and they're just eating shit food for the most part. Like, how does one even, like, where do you even start to, like, well, how do we fix this? I can't wait to hear your response. You're going to give me some shit. But self-care, self-awareness, and self-love, man. I I, uh, I first love on them and, trust, and, and tell them I deeply care and let them know that I care. So we would do... Every week, every week when we hired, the trunk company would hire between 25 and 50 new truck drivers because you lose that many every week. It's 100% annualized turnover in the trucking industry in general, um, especially for long-haul long haul truck drivers. So we would, I told the owner, I go, I need a three-hour workshop. Like we, everybody does 30 minutes to 45 minutes. We have one guy that does an hour, but I go, I need three. If you want me to move here and do this, I need three hours. And I taught them a breath work. Totally, just how to relax, do diaphragmatic breathing. Um, I told them that they are created out of light and love, no matter what faith they come from. They are, that's their pure essence of who they are, no matter how much crap they've done, no matter how shitty they think about what they think about themselves. They've all screwed up. They've all made mistakes. We've all done it. So forgive yourself and love yourself. And I said, you know, um, a cool story is I've been to India to meet the Dalai Lama a couple of times. 
I remember you told me that too, which yeah. is fucking crazy. It dude. is, right? <laughs> How is that like not in your bio? Like that's like the first thing I've read, like <laughs> friends with Dalai Lama right. under special skills. Yeah. Anyway, go on. So he was saying, he's like, Sergio, regardless if you're Christian, Buddhist, have no religion, it doesn't matter. We know that the pure essence of all of us are light and love because when we're honest and we help people and we serve and we're selfless and we care, there's a harmony deep inside our bones, our cells, our heart that we can't deny. When we're, on, we're dishonest, we steal, we cheat, we get greedy, there's a disharmony, there's an uneasiness there. So by that, our true nature is light and love. So I try to tell our drivers, like, listen, man, you're a good human being. You fucked up. I fucked up a thousand times in my life. I go, love yourself. I go, it matters. And once they see that I genuinely care, they open up a little bit more. And I was beyond surprised how much more these truck drivers were compliant with little things on wellness and health than any corporate wellness contract I've ever had with office employees. It's crazy because they just never have people that love and care on them. So I taught them breath. I teach them conscious eating, the stuff that I do in the book. How do you eat slowly and more mindfully? So I give them a meditation with a tangerine and I go, cool. Next time you want a bacon double cheeseburger with fries and a soda, eat it, but do it mindfully and slowly. And what you're going to notice is Everybody needs salt, sugar, fat, and calories. The first three or four bites are going to provide you what you need. So they're nourishing to you. Past those three or four bites, now you're getting excess salt, sugar, fat, and calories. So you're probably going to say, oh, this is not doing me that much good. And if you're conscious and mindful, we are hardwired for survival. We are. We're just wired to survive. So now you know you're killing yourself. So you won't do it as much. So you get them to buy in, like, right up front. Which, yeah. I, that to me, like, that's the hardest part. Because, like, again, like... I'm familiar with the truck. The the I'm generalizing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The I average trucker where yeah. you're like, yeah, these dudes are like, we don't give a fuck about this. Like, this is some crazy shit. Especially like when you say it, well, but the way you frame it makes more sense. When you just say it like, oh, light and love. I'm sitting in the room like, this dude is crazy right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, before I say light and love and self-love and self-care, what I give them, I, I make um, a protein shake with some greens and stuff like that. And I have it for them when they come in the room. I go, come on up and get some guys. And I'll make a couple pictures of it. And they're looking at me like something like, uh, a couple of them start coming up. I go, listen, I'm not going to piss off a bunch of fucking truck drivers. Get your ass up here and drink a chocolate shake. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all right. And I just cuss at them and laugh with them and joke with them. And they get it that I'm real and they have the shake. I'm like, oh shit, this is actually pretty good. And then they start, and then they all come up and get some. And that's kind of what builds the trust, right? Well, it's knowing your audience too. Yeah. And at that point, you've been doing this what? 20 years or something yeah yeah Yeah, so you've been in it so i want to rewind quick and then we'll move on how does one um meet the dalai lama like how does that is like on craigslist like where is that like where (laughs) where do you find this (laughs) tinder yeah (laughs) no man it was um so remember you're making uh my your comment on my uh my degree was psychology and fine arts to be an art therapist yeah and my minor so i had a double major and a minor was theology i wanted to be a spiritual art therapist so I was studying Eastern theology at the time, and I had a lot of books by the Dalai Lama that I was reading. And when I was personal training, I had one of the books at my trainer desk. And my client comes in, and she's a new client. She's like, oh, do you study, do you follow Dalai Lama? I'm like, yeah, I'm studying Eastern theology right now. And she's like, would you like to meet his younger brother? I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, he's coming over for dinner in a couple of weeks. There's about six of us for dinner. And, you know, I'm a, crazy. I'm a filmmaker. I do documentaries. Like, I know you. This is our second. It was like our second or third session again. She's like, I know you make documentary films. You didn't know. Tell me what you're about, what they're about. She's like, yeah, I did one called Shadows Over Tibet. And what's going on with, with Tibetans that are in exile in the United States compared to what they were in India. And 
the Dalai Lama was coming in, his younger brother was coming in to have dinner at her house because a mutual friend of theirs um, had been diagnosed with cancer. So I went to dinner and the Dalai Lama's youngest brother, Tenzin Chogyal, they call him TC, goes, Sergio, sit between me and this guy, the guy who had cancer, his brother Wayne Teasdale, this Catholic Benedictine monk. And there was Catholic and Buddhist jokes back and forth the entire night. We all peed our pants. It was the funniest night of my life. That's awesome. And it was nothing but humor and love. And he's, at the end of the night, TC goes, Sergio, would you like to come meet His Holiness in India? You're welcome to stay in my house. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> Tell to the yeah. And then Valerie, who invited me, she's like, well, we're going to go in like four months because we're going to shoot another part two to this documentary. Would you like to come with us? I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. So that's what happened, man. I got to go to the Dalai Lama's house and... That's crazy, dude. Right. So then I went a second time, and I took I went with Brother Wayne, the guy, the the monk, because he was going again. So I went with him the second time, um, and then he he was my meditation teacher for about six years. Uh, my wife and I would share a car. We were boyfriend girlfriend at the time, and she would drop me off at his house on Sunday morning. Sometimes she'd have breakfast, and the three of us would have breakfast, and then she'd leave, and uh, him and I would meditate for eight, nine, ten hours. Sometimes it was like two hours of meditation, then we'd watch a video of. Thomas Merton or some philosophy of, or theology. And then we go do walking meditation for two hours and we come back and have tea. And then we do another two or three hours of meditation. And he just taught me some amazing stuff, man. That's so rare. Yeah. Like, like imagine there can't be that many people where like, that's a thing. Like when you're there, it's just like you guys, or is there a bunch yeah, of no, you? No, just him and I. We that, built, we built a, uh, a deep friendship and uh, I, was, I was very crushed when he passed away. That's nuts, man. So, and he's doing that, like, is there anything special you have to do when you go there? Because, like, again, you're, I'm talking like it's me. Like, I show up and I'm like, all right, dude, what are we doing here? You already kind of probably know, like, here's how it works. Or you just show up and, like, I don't know what to expect. Or did you kind of know what you're getting into? When I went to to Brother Wayne's? Yeah. Does Um, he tell you, like, hey, dude? Well, I told him I'd been studying some meditation. I'd been reading this. And, you know, my parents would take us to church when I was a kid. I'm like. You know, I love the singing. I love some of the energy, but there's a bunch of bullshit going on here. And I, I hope I don't offend anybody because I'm a big believer in, in a, a higher power and created by love. But um, when it comes down to the organizations, they, they've been ruined by man. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're people. We, yeah. we fuck everything up. So, uh, you know, I, I've had a deep, deep calling to spiritual practice my entire childhood and, and life. And, um so when I went to Brother Wayne's, we'd already had a lot of conversations about stuff, and he would just teach me. Well, the first thing he taught me was called center. I'd been learning at that point Buddhist meditation. I'd been to a couple Shasta Abbey in um, Mount Shasta, California. Yeah. I'd gone to a different monastery out uh, near Santa Barbara, but up the mountains called Pine Mountain. That was a Zen Buddhist meditation. So I'd gone to a couple of those, and he t- started t- me, teaching me centering prayer, which is a uh, Benedictine and, or Trappist monks, which is in the Catholic. Catholic and Christianity yeah. um, type of meditation, which I'm like, I was open to any of it. Let's go. Um, and it was beautiful, and I loved it and started studying Thomas Martin. So I knew I was excited. Well, teach me. I'm an I'm a open mind and open heart. So, And it's so crazy. Like, how long have you meditated a ton before that? Like, eight hours at a time? That never, seems, never, seems never, never, never. No, yeah, no. aggressive. Yeah, no. I had been meditating 30 minutes to an hour almost every day for a couple of years at that point in my mid-20s going through, you know. That's gnarly. Yeah. Because I imagine, like, for me, I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, eight hours, I probably have to pee, like, three times. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, it wasn't eat hours in a row, brother. Yeah. It would be, like, two hours, and we'd toot some tea and talk for a little bit, and then we okay, let's do another one, and we'd do 90 minutes. And we, but, like, literally nine, ten hours of the day, and we'd have um, a couple of 15 to 30-minute breaks. But It's so, and it's so different from, I just, that stuff, it, like, the, what's the book? The Undefeated Mind? 
I think. That's like a Nichiren Buddhism. He talks about. And it's kind of, it's interesting. It's like it's a lot of mindfulness. That it's a good it's a good listen. I did an audible, but I think of that and I think of like our life and how we live. The second we wake up, inundated with just shit. Oh, no, like I, I got to practice every morning, brother. I yeah. Gotta, I gotta. What's your so? We'll go through that. Just yeah. do your, um, you know, your morning routine. Yeah. So I since we're there. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I wake up and then I'll drink some water. I'll do about five to ten minutes of yoga stretches just to loosen my body up, uh, and then I'll do a thirty-minute meditation every day. You know, and then I'll read for ten or fifteen minutes. Do you ever miss it? Like, do you ever not do that? Um, and if yeah. you and if you do, do you then lazy your day like I kind of feel weird or off? Um, it definitely is not as productive. It's not. It's just not the. It's not the same for sure. Yeah. Um, but I've done it enough where if I have a day off, I, I can. I'm mindful now where I can start. Where I start reacting a little bit more to my kids, or I'm just not as zen. It's not. It's just not as joyful because I'm connecting to something greater and I'm opening to it. And it's just. I don't know. It's just a cool practice. I love it. Well, it's healthy, and I think, well, the first thing, one, the fact that you do what I would call mobility to before you move around, we're the only mammals that don't do that because we're so stupid, which is crazy. Your fucking dog does it if you watch. Like, it's so insane. And then my wife will do the same thing where she just goes, and I, well, I'm usually gone, but if I'm ever home, she's, like, in a different room doing whatever she does for, like, five, ten minutes just to be quiet. And I'm like, I do think for most people, I do it in a, like, very ghetto way. The radio in my car died like six years ago. So when I drive here every day, there's no noise. And to me, like that's my, because it's brainless, it's mindless, and I just kind of am clear. So I do think that's better than getting up and like, oh, let me check Twitter and get into an argument with somebody. And turn on the news. <laughs> well, and that's what most people do. And that's what I mean, like by like their culture and lifestyle versus what we do, because it's inundated all day, every day. And we're always trying to do more, get more, have more. And it's awesome because we can innovate in America and it's great and it's competitive. I go, but it swallows you up too. I think there's a balance probably somewhere in the middle. And you obviously got to see both sides, which is pretty badass actually. Well, we'll always come to that, Jeremy, the middle path, brother. It's, there's so much more wisdom in that middle path. There is a balance because you could sit there and it's funny. My friend, brother Wayne um, was sent away by his monastery in India. He went to an ashram in India. It was a Christian Hindu ashram um, by father B Griffiths said, Hey, go be a monk in the world. Being a hermit, is not really benefiting to anybody. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> <You> true. <know? laughs> so it's the middle path. Go be a monk for a while, but then go be in the world and shine this kindness and patience and, and share it with people. Well, I think that's most things. If you're too far either direction, you get kind of swallowed up. And there's seasons of life. Sometimes it's a point, but at, at the end of the day, I think the middle ground works. I was going to ask this too. Uh, you have worked with some athletes before. Yes. Like the top level dudes. Yeah. Do you want to name them or no? Um, they're not big fans of that. Yeah. Uh, but you work with some top like a couple of NBA you, guys and one yeah. baseball guy, yeah. And then what was the um, the Doctor Oz? So um, I remember it briefly. Yeah, Doctor Oz was doing a contest. Who's now trying to be a politician? Yes. I, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it's crazy. Um, so uh, he was doing a contest for become the trainer of the year um, and be the featured trainer for the Doctor Oz show. Because that's all in Chicago, or no? No, it's in New York. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Why do I think he's from Chicago? I have no idea. Oprah. Oh, because him and Oprah buds. That's right. <laughs> no priest. You got it. Yeah. Um, so he just did that, and I sent in this video, and out of, I think, 7,000 applicants, I got picked in the top 20, and then they had to send some other videos, and then I got put into the top four, so I was a semifinalist, and I lost. Um, not to, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's no big deal. 
Um, it's bullshit. It is BS because what I didn't realize is they and they screwed up too, and they knew they screwed up. But when you did the when they did the voting thing, you can vote a million. You can sit there and vote, 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 vote. And oh, I never told anybody that, but the other people did because they realized it right away. So I just had a bunch of people vote once versus hey, have your mom vote seventy-seven times, you know. Um, but in any case, what I want to say about him is I don't know what his politics are, and I. Um, I, I don't know either. I didn't. Even, I just saw it said like Dr. Oz is doing something. I and, don't know if he's... And Pennsylvania. He's a Republican congressman or senator or something like that. Really? In Pennsylvania. I was totally shocked by it. No shit. Um, but what I do know about him is the guy's got a good heart and he's smart and he's, he's a good person. That's, um, that's a, I always tell people like, I don't know, like I have not watched, I've never watched the Dr. Oz show, full disclaimer. Right. Um, I've heard him obviously because he's on everything. And I think most of those people like that get into, if it's TV and those things, like they generally, I think, start out like with the best intentions. And then you're in this weird world where it's like, well, who knows what the hell is going on? And I can sit here and say, well, I would never do this or that. But maybe McDonald's calls me tomorrow and says, Jeremy, we'll give you $20 million to save Big Macs or the shit. And maybe that's what's on the next episode, you guys. I don't know. I'm not saying like everybody sells out, but I'm like, there's this to be, a, I think most people generally to be a physician you take like, like I'm going to be a doctor, whatever it may be, if it's a PhD or MD, like you did it for a reason. Like you generally probably wanted to help people. It wasn't just like, I want to be like, make a bunch of money. Cause there's way more careers. We can make way more money doing way less complicated shit. So I'll say one thing about him. He, his show was owned by Sony and Sony had sponsors that made him push certain products. He got, there's a lot of controversy, so he renegotiated his contract and got that, a lot of that stuff out of, his, out of his contract, which is really awesome to see. The second thing about him is there's nobody in all of wellness that gets his image stolen and fake, like um, they do fake marketing. Dr. Oz, because they'll say one word that he said, and now they'll create a product acting and showing as if he endorsed that product. He has full-time attorneys knocking these things down, as does, what's that show called? Um, Shark Tank. Oh, yeah. Because Shark Tank's being used all the time now. Hey, but shown on Shark Tank, and they're a lot of BS. They're not even really shown on Shark Tank. That would be, that's like where, you know, more money, more problems. Like, that's <laughs> where you really are in the boat of, like, people are trying to siphon off all your shit. Yeah. That's gnarly. Uh, so if we move into, like, your your personal fitness, like, what does your kind of fitness routine look like each week? Like, in general, what's the, at this point, how old are you now? 51, brother. 51. That's fucking crazy. I think. What is Dave Jack? Dave Jackson was 52. Is he? It's fucking nuts. Because yeah. you guys, like, I used to think, and you probably the same way, like, when we're kids, and my dad's 50, he's, like, dead, basically. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Because, for sure. like, yeah, yeah. they are not as healthy, for one. Like, technology has aged us down. We dress younger. We're more fit. We're le- Everything is just, we've we figured some things out, biologically, obviously, along the way. And we've, like, 100 years ago, you're dead at 50. Now it's like 50 is like, fuck it, dude. I got another probably oh, 50 yeah. years. So with that, like how, what does your fitness look like? And what do you, what are you trying to do? What's kind of the, the main goal? Well, I'm shooting for 130 because I want to live in three different centuries. That's nuts, dude. All right. And listen, we'll have bionic parts, man. I'm not worried about that stuff. Um, technology will help us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. Because I remember being 28, 29 and I had a client that was turning 50. I'm like, damn, bro, <laughs> you're old. You're dead. But it's <laughs> weird because we wanna... do these workouts here like the hardest on Sundays with these guys. And they're most of them are over 50. Yeah. And they fucking look great. And yeah. like I couldn't tell. I mean, short of like, you know, if we have gray hair or it's falling out, whatever. Like I couldn't tell. I'm like, oh, maybe he's 36, 42, yeah. but he's now he's 54, which is crazy. Yeah. So I... um I do periodization. Uh, I normally do 
two days a week of pretty intense functional HIIT workouts. Um, and then I'll do one to two days a week of heavy lifting. And then one or two days of just movement, body weight, yoga, flexibility, mobility type stuff. And then one day I don't do diddly. Yeah, just walking and probably whatever. Yeah. I mean, I always like will do some light stretching and a couple of squats and lunges in the house just because that's part of me moving and getting my body loose and part of my meditation in the mornings. So I'm always doing that five to 10 minutes um, of just something. And then I'll, you know, I'm cooking food or making a shake and I'll just do a couple lunges before I pour it, you know, and then I don't know, just like the, I like to move. It just feels good. But you've been doing it for ever. Yeah, pretty much. Is there ever a space like when you started to now where you weren't active? Like obviously there's seasons where you do more or less, but you probably never said, you know what, this month I'm going to say fuck it and be lazy and just eat like shit. No, I don't never, never go more than like three to four days without working out at least, you know, and again, I, I, I don't need to be that intense all the time. I really, um, I'm easy on myself. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm, for the next two weeks, I'm just going to do light workouts. I just want my body to kind of just have a recovery phase. And I know when I, when I do that and I come back and try to push hard, I'm actually stronger for sure. So, well, and you know, obviously at this <clears> point, like, you know, where you're at, like if there's, if you have any issues, when you can turn it on, when you have to pull it back. If someone's listening and maybe they're, you know, close to 50 or they're going to be 50 or even shit, they're, you know, 40 years old. Like, what is, do you have a general advice for them? Maybe they're not super active now, like a general physical place to start. Like we, we have a prescription we give, but I'm curious to hear yours. Yeah. So what I did with my drivers, and I even did this with clients right before my drivers, when I started learning about this behavioral change, I did my first NLP certification in 2014. Um, Neurolinguistic programming. Program. Yes, sir. For the people listening, yeah. explain that to these guys real quick. Just it's a, the base, the broad. Yeah, definition. it's it's a psychology of the brain and th- and and understanding the language of your thoughts and how you can um, manage that. So using all of our senses to create a better future. I like that. Yeah. Um, so what I've taught is consistency is key. So what I ask for is four minutes twice a day. And then be mindful about it and ask yourself, do I feel better, same or worse? I don't care what kind of movement you do. Here's a few examples of what four minutes look like. But if you could do four minutes twice a day, here's what happens. You don't judge yourself for not doing it. I mean, that's not right. You don't um, feel pressure to do it. You just find yourself, okay, I can, everybody can do four minutes. Agree. And... If you do it twice a day, even if, like I tell you, if you do 10 or 15 minutes in the morning, still do four minutes in the afternoon because now you identify yourself as a more mobile, active person multiple times throughout your day versus I'm a sedentary person who does this chore of going to work out. What I start to help people do is shift their mind from this is a chore to a gift. And if you just start with four minutes, you say, how do you feel? So during my three and a half hour workshop with the drivers, let's do four minutes of movement. How do you guys feel? I feel alive and alert. I feel better. I feel circulation. I feel a little winded and tired. Well, hell, you're shit. You're deconditioned. But do you feel better? Do you feel? Yes. Would you need less caffeine and Mountain Dew if you did four minutes and then behind the wheel of your truck? Yes. And they recognize that. So if you feel better and you do a little bit more because it's an internal thing, then it becomes a gift and you do it more consistently. If it's looked at as a chore, we know that people, I mean, the majority of people will look as workouts as a chore. So they go and do 20, 30, 45 minutes an hour. They do it twice or three times a week, and then they give up two or three months, maybe six months later. So I teach people four minutes twice a day. 
It's like bite-sizable chunks, basically. Yeah. BG Gador has been doing this where he he was here. He talked about it a little bit. It's like every hour on the hour, and you don't have to do it every hour of the day. But if you could, it'd be ideal. Just a minute of like he does a lot of hangs. Like if you could hang or just get up and just walk your ass around for like. And how simple is that? Yours is comparable as well. Where I know a lot of people. Well, I don't have an hour. Cause then I have to get dressed. I got to drive to the gym. I got to put these clothes on, do this. And then they quit before they even start. And the four minutes seems like the easiest thing. It's funny. That's my Instagram story yesterday. I did. Um, my wife asked me to go to the gym. I go, babe, I can't, I got way too much going on. I just released the book and I got all this stuff to deal with. Um, but I did two minutes every hour and I just set my timer for two minutes and I did mountain climbers for like one, two minutes. And the next two minutes I would do squats with this rotation and l- deep lunges. The next two minutes I have these little jump rope in my, they're not full jump ropes cause I don't want to hit my chandelier. So I just do this little jump rope for two minutes and I kept rotating it every hour for two minutes and talked about it. I'm like, there's a million ways to move, but if we can make it an internal thing where like, if you do two minutes or a minute, like BJ says, Sometimes you're going to do two, three, or four minutes because it just feels good. And the more you're aware of how good it feels, then you internally will decide, I want to do 10 or 15 minutes. Or you just do 10 or 15 minutes without even realizing it. And then it becomes a lifestyle and habit. Yeah, that motion creates emotion, definitely. And little things. Like I do the same thing here, even, and obviously I'm active every day. But I'm like, oh, I'm on the bike. I'm going to do 50 cows. Then I'm like, well, fuck it. Let's do 100. And then I'll get into <laughs> some really stupid shit. And that's an extreme example. But the point is, is you probably won't, always stop at four minutes you have to be you you have to be so regimented just to quit at four minutes yeah i mean the truck drivers that i work most of them would within what i would get is like look i'm four minutes twice a day for three weeks as your goal first if you do more you do more but that's what your goal is and the ones that did it and the majority of them did within a month and a half to tell me dude i did 30 minute workout twice this week or i did an hour workout because they just they just loved it they felt better and they just kept going and anybody that says they can't do that is basically full of shit. Beyond full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like you just, you don't value it at all. Right. And I would tell us anybody, I'm, you know, I work just as much as anybody who's listening. I can promise you that. That shit's always there. The emails are always there. The phone calls are always there. There's always more shit to do, especially if it's your own business. It's, it's a never ending just shit show. But to take four minutes and be active, I'm like the ROI of that is worth a thousand times more than sending 10 more emails, in my opinion. And you've seen it over and over and you see the research over and over. If you just spent those five or 10 minutes, the brain chemistry, the hormone shift, everything happens that you'll be better. You have more clarity for your emails. You'll do better with your kids or your spouse. Everything gets better. Well, I do think like when we say movements, medicine, and like, I don't know where people draw the line of, obviously I think more people struggle with eating right than moving around. But I go back and forth because if you look at the statistics, there's like 14% of people have gym memberships, which is ridiculously low. And of those, and again, people could work out at home. So there's an asterisk by that. But also of the 14% of people who have gym memberships, how many of them actually really go or really train, which is not a lot. The point I'm driving at is I've never met anybody, and I'm sure they exist, that eats really well every day in terms of like it's real food, it's organic, the macros are in check, but they never exercise. They're really, that person's really not there. The point I'm saying is if you guys are moving more, you're more inclined to eventually start eating better. They, they do go hand in hand. 
Which is what I, you know, some people would try to coach that like, hey, if you want to quit smoking, you want to eat healthy, you want to lose weight, you want to start exercising, you want to get better sleep, to just work on one at a time. And the science and the research and the psychology behind it is actually false. You got to work on multiple at a time because they support each other. So if I'm trying to eat and exercise, but I'm still smoking, they conflict each other. So subconscious mind is going to force you to give up on it because that's, you're just not really living in congruent. So I would coach drivers on, and my clients on here's how you start quitting smoking. Smoke mindfully. Just like you eat that food, pay attention to it. Absorb it. Be mindful of it. Um, notice the taste, the texture, the smell. Notice what your body feels. And also I'm like, oh, this is killing me. And I'm trying to walk more or stretch more and exercise. And I'm trying to eat healthy when I go to the truck stops. And I'm cooking in my truck now. And I got drivers to quit smoking without any smoking cessation meditations. That's crazy because I do think a lot of those, when I think about it now, it's just mindless behavior, smoking. So it just becomes these succinct habits that we've basically just, we've gotten to a loop and they can't get out of it. And I'm going to smoke cigarette after I eat. I'm going to smoke a cigarette when I do this. And, I'm, and then to your point, people don't audit how they feel or anything going on, which is kind of crazy. And that's why this, the first thing I did with the drivers was breath work and mindfulness. And that's the same thing in my book, you know, like how do you lose belly fat? How do you master your insulin? mindful eating become mindful just once you start looking inward and paying attention we're naturally wired for survival physically as human beings and we're naturally wired to thrive as spiritual beings so it just becomes the natural easy decision versus when we're unconscious we're trying to get rid of pain or boredom right so we're just going to rush to sugar because what gives us quickest rush of dopamine yeah <laughs> social media i mean all the stuff yeah. it's all the things that are they're probably okay in moderation, but not. We don't do anything in moderation For in America. Sure. What? Uh, just curious. What is the uh, the demo uh, of like the uh, the truck drivers? Because obviously you had hundreds and hundreds of people. Is there like? A, is it mostly men? Mostly women? What's the age range? Oof. Um. So we had probably I would say seventy five, eighty percent male, um, maybe even more. Yeah, eighty percent, eighty five percent male, uh, and anywhere between the age of twenty five and sixty five. Okay, it's pretty good. It's yeah, it's a pretty good. wide range. Yeah. Uh, so if we move to, I was just curious because when I think about it, like, okay, if I was, that's, I mean, that's the demo of a lot of people. I mean, we have everybody who listens to this, but that's, that's the normal dude. Yeah. Who just sucks. <laughs> the women are way better uh, overall than, than dudes, I would say. Uh, in and terms everything. of everything. Yeah. Well, they just like, they're more coachable. Uh they tend to listen better and they, I think they value it for the right reasons before dudes do dudes eventually get there. We're just, we're guys. We're stupid. Is your wife coachable? Uh, not for me. That's not, 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 Cause that's the only one that doesn't listen to, yeah. to, to my workout stuff. Well, <laughs> she does her, you know, she's got to do her own thing. But if somebody else says it, yes, for sure. She'll take, she'll take coaching from somewhere. Yeah, I was like, just being funny. She's like, Oh, Hey, Rachel Cruz said this. I'm like, I said that same shit six <laughs> years ago. Or Rachel Hollis said this. I'm like, dude, I've been saying that for a decade, but, yeah. uh, your personal eating, uh, you know, kind of your, if it's your overall philosophy, like how do you kind of eat, uh, yeah. any vices, all that stuff. Um, one of the things I would tell the truck drivers is like, look, I'm not going to tell you what to eat, what not to eat. Um, I'm going to teach you first how to eat, which is the mindful eating. Um, but I'll coach you on what are, what works for most people, but nothing works for everybody. We all have different microbiome, different genetics. So don't let anybody tell you that this is the best diet. Um, so I would tell people, I like, look, I like steak, pizza, whiskey, wine, and chocolate. Those are my five favorite things. That's my last meal, if I can help it. And I'm Colombian, so if anybody tries to take that shit from me, their arm's fucking missing. It's done, yeah. Right. <laughs> what is your, what's your go-to whiskey? Um, 
Or you have a couple probably. Yeah, like um, Angel's Gate is a really, really good one. Okay. I don't know that one. Yeah. It's there's so, I did a one. So many, I do like two posts a year on Instagram. Uh-huh. And I'll like, I'll post what I have at my house. I'm like, what's your favorite? Literally like a thousand comments. Yeah. I'm like, I have not heard of half of these. Like it's become this, it's like wine or beer now. Yeah. It's a whole cult like thing. It drives me nuts. Oh, I got a friend of mine from Iowa that sends me Japanese whiskeys and Japanese scotches now. Those are like different tasting though, right? Yeah, they're lighter. They're actually much lighter. But you you could tell it's not like if you drink Buffalo Trace or something. Right. Like it's a way different. Yeah. I've heard about those. Never had one though. Yeah, they're pretty good. I um we got a, some people here that are like whiskey diehards. Really? And I, with Instagram, sometimes these guys will like ship bottles to my house. <laughs> I'm a little leery uh, to try them, but uh, they'll do that once in a while. Yeah. So I do intermittent fasting. Um, I, I don't eat usually until about one or two in the afternoon and try to cut off my eating by eight o'clock. 8.30 at night. And um, for how long have you been doing that? Oh, since I learned about insulin and managing insulin, probably about 12 years, 13 years. Yeah, I think I'm probably on year 12, I yeah. think. I went, um, it was like Lean Gains, I think was the first, like the Martin Beckman. I just read the book and that was like, oh, I'm like, oh, this seems easy. And I just, because I felt like shit eating every three hours, personally. Yeah. I know some people do great with it. It just didn't work for me. Yeah. So you fast. The body, every... body for life. <laughs> yeah, the yeah Bill, Phillips. Bill Phillips. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I fell into that trap too, but when I learned about holistic nutrition and functional nutrition, you realize that the research is so short-sighted that yes, it improves our metabolism for about three to six months and then it dips back down and it normalizes to what somebody who eats two or three meals a day. So there's no real long-term benefit. And when you eat that frequent, you don't let the microbiome, uh, to rest enough. So you actually start creating inflammation and imbalances in your gut, which is actually harmful for you. So if people are eating three times every three hours, I rec- recommend to stop doing that. Well, it just seems like you're not eating. To me, it was always satiety and satiation, right? So, like how I feel full, I never felt full doing that because it was like, well, eat this smaller meal here, and I would just kind of always like leave the meal pissed off. <laughs> and then you know you always just want to eat more and more and more, and I felt like it just perpetuated the problem because I'm an overeater by nature. As I'm older now. To me, the focus is like, I don't want to feel like shit. That's the number one thing, how I do everything. Like, yeah, I look a certain way or whatever the fuck. That's going to be what it is. I don't want to feel bad. And once I start eating, oftentimes, like back in the day when I, it's just like, it's an avalanche. Once it starts, dude, it doesn't stop. So to me, setting the boundaries, well, I'm going to eat like once a day in this small window. And I feel just, I don't know what the term is. Like, I feel empty or like, I just feel lighter. And I feel like my body's not always digesting and processing and breaking down food every second of every day, which is an energy system and takes away from me being able to do podcasts or work out or whatever. And again, for anybody, like if I'm going to eat and then go train, dude, there's no way. Right. It's coming out one under the other and it's not going to be good. (laughs) Yeah. So no, I'm a fan of the fasting too, for sure. Yeah. So I, I I do a 24 hour fast, um, probably twice a month. And I try to do a 36 hour fast, at least one of those two times. The 24-hour, do you just do like, hey, I'm going to eat on Friday at 6 p.m. and then not till Saturday at 6 p.m.? Yeah, like that? usually. And the 36, how does that So same thing, except I don't eat all day on Saturday. I'll wait till Sunday. But usually I'll try to do that on Friday, actually. So Thursday night I'll have dinner. Friday I don't eat anything, drink anything. I mean, I drink water, obviously, a little bit of tea. And then I eat breakfast on Saturday. That's a, that's a rough one. I could do 36 for sure. You could do more. You could even do it. I do a three-day water fast once or twice a year, and they're phenomenal. 
I mean, is there a point where you're just like, man, this sucks? I've only went probably thir- probably 30 hours, give or take, just because, like, busy traveling, yeah. whatever. And that's not – to me, it's still eating in the same day. Like, yeah. it's not, but technically yeah. it is. The second day is the toughest. The third day, you feel great. You almost don't want to eat a fourth day, but – then sometime by the fourth day and just take a little bite of something and yeah, <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Well, I do say, and I don't want to get lost in the fasting trail, but there is a, again, if there's, let's say there's no benefits scientifically whatsoever, like it's just a certain eating protocol and we can leave it there. Personally, I think it teaches people to delay gratification for one. And two, I do think you appreciate food way more and you are naturally just more mindful because of it. Cause you don't, didn't stuff your face seven times already today. So when you do eat, whether it's like something you're supposed to eat or not supposed to eat, I think you appreciate it more. And you realize how it impacts your body, right? Because if, if you've gone 24 hours without eating, then all of a sudden you put some food in your body, you know if it gives you energy or takes energy away. You know if it makes you feel bloated or not. You know if it helps you think more clearly or gives you mental fogginess. And that's really key. I mean, that's, we, we're, we're so numb and so unhealthy and bloated that people just eat and don't realize how bad it's affecting them. Well, I don't think the average adult even understands what feeling good is like. And I don't mean the average person listening to this. A lot of you guys are, if you're listening to me, you probably give a yeah, shit a right. little bit about your body. Exactly. Um, some of you might not. Hopefully you do if, after this episode. But I don't think the average Joe who they don't exercise, they go to the grocery store, there's no plan. They just mindfully go through the aisles and just pick up, oh, it's Cinnamon Toast Crunch, it's macaroni and cheese, which all sounds amazing. But you have to probably feel like a bag of shit. Now, their baseline now is I'm going to feel like shit every day. So they don't even know what the alternative is, yeah. which is really sad. So in your eating, do you eat twice a day, three times a day? Um, usually twice a day when a sna- and sometimes a snack. Yeah. And like what um, what type of foods do you eat these so days? I, um, I eat Greek yogurt organic with some uh, grain-free granola or ancient grain granola and some berries and some chia and flax seeds in there. Um, I eat that a couple times a week. I'll do eggs with spinach a couple times a week with feta uh, and I'll do a shake a couple times a week. That's usually my first meal. Um, my wife, we eat plant-based, ni- she eats 95% plant-based diet, so I about 85% plant-based. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so I eat meat or chicken, um, probably chicken once a week, sometimes twice a week and beef once or twice a month. Um, and I eat fish once or twice, probably Fish, yeah, I don't eat fish that much because we don't cook it at home. It's, it stinks up the house. My kids don't like it, and I, it's we're just not good at it. It's tough. We uh, grill only, yeah. and it's got to be outside, right? Because and <laughs> mostly salmon because it's the easiest. Yeah, so I, I eat raw, mostly raw fish. Um, I love sushi, um, but that's yeah. I mean, I I eat mostly plant based. I, I think that you know, as human beings, we're not meant to eat as much meat as we're eating. Not I know, like me. I, know I, eat this, a, I eat a steak every fucking day, dude. Yeah, I mean, you look at Ben Greenfield, right? There's people eating, you know. Uh, carnivore diet. Yeah, the carnivore uh, Sean, diet. Sean, uh, Mark, uh, there's a lot of yeah. people. Well, uh, who's the guy? Uh, Paul Saladino. I think yeah. he's the, well, but again, like there's an asterisk with that. Like, yeah, he'll eat, um, only eat meat, but then eats blueberries and honey and whatever else. Right. Uh, that's, I tried it. I did it for two weeks for a podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, the first week, like. You shit your pants, bro. Like, <laughs> just like diarrhea, like right. hot shit. It's rough. Well, there's no there's no glycogen in your system. There's no fiber in your system. Like, And the amount of fat is typically so high, and I think that's really what it is. If you ever eat like a super fatty meal, most people just, it'll roll through you uh, pretty quick. But anyways, that's weird because you say that because yesterday, Dr. Craig goes on, and she doesn't eat meat at all, was mm-hmm. raised vegetarian. Right. Has obviously tried it, um, 
but I don't think he's ever had a steak her whole life. Well, and my daughter hasn't either. She hasn't had beef at all. She's just never wanted to. It's, um, I guess if you don't grow, it's like if you don't grow up in America, like we have friends like from uh, Lithuania or where's Moji from? Nigeria. I don't think he ever ate like anything sweet his entire life till he's like 30 years old. So if you never had a brownie, you don't know when right. you don't know what you're missing. But God, that's rough, dude. So what do you eat for dinner then? Um, my wife will make like a really cool um, butternut squash soup. That's really co- awesome. With uh, and then we'll have a salad uh, on the side. She'll make these um, lentil pasta. We eat that once every couple of weeks. We have uh, butternut. Uh, what's it called? Uh, like an acorn squash yeah. with marinara in it, and uh, she'll do beans. So we'll do a lot of like bean tacos. Heather just did a lentil. Um, is it lentil pasta? Is that right? It looks yeah. the same to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell a difference. It's higher protein, higher fiber, a um, little chalkier, you know. Yeah. Well, I say I couldn't tell a difference. I have not eaten pasta since I was in Italy. Right. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah. I just it's not what I it's not what I gravitate towards. If yeah. I'm gonna go out, it's again like and I don't think I don't know what they do in Italy, but it's a little different than we do in Scottsdale, I'm sure, in yeah. terms of pasta. So Yeah, we do like a lentil and uh and bean like almost like a tortilla soup, but she puts quinoa in it and some peppers and onions and vegetables. Super filling, super good. She'll make like a vegan. Uh, she likes to make vegan cheeses, kind of like the made out of cashews, like a like a hot sauce almost. Oh yeah. And you put that into the soup a little bit instead of sour cream. And then uh, you'll do a steak like once, twice a month. My my son loves 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 steak. Um, so, yeah, once or twice a month we'll buy a nice steak and grill it at home or we'll go out to eat. You got a favorite cut? Uh, ribeye, baby. Yeah, I do like the ribeye. I like everything. Yeah, I like too. Ribeye and filet are my two favorite. Yeah, I like New York strips. I like uh, I like a porterhouse. It yeah. just depends. I mean, like I'm just I'm from the Midwest, bro. What I recommend though is like if people who eat meat, you know, if we eat less ate less meat instead of two or three times a day, we went to like two or three times a week. And I had truck drivers do this, and I go try a couple plant based days and just see what you notice, and they all felt better. I had a couple guys go 100 percent plant based for six seven weeks, um, but think about just. Again, consciousness. It, we eat so much meat that we need factory farms. And these factory farmed animals are bringing a lot of cortisol into our bodies, a lot of hormones into our bodies. So first you should eat wild meats if you can. You know, Anything that's caught in the wild is way better than farm-raised. And if it's farm, it should be organic and without hormones, man. You gotta, you gotta work on that stuff. And we talk about it on here, and I'll get to it more later, like grass-fed, grass-finished, yes. if you can. Because sometimes the labels these guys are full of shit. Yep. <laughs> uh, which is sad too. But and again, I think you could have enough meat through the family farms. It would just cost people way more. Like like butcher box and stuff like they do do a good job in there's but the the price difference is astronomical. Like when you go get like a shit sorry anybody, like a shit steak from like a Walmart or something probably, which I don't I'm assuming they have steaks there. Um, and then if you go get like legit grass-fed, grass-finished steak from like a Sprouts or a Whole Foods, it's, you know, you're talking six bucks to like 26 bucks. Is like, it that big of a difference? It's pretty fucking big, yeah. I looked the other day, because um, usually at like Sprouts, they'll have two. Sprouts, I think the the worst, I don't say the worst version. They'll do one that's not, like one's grass-fed, one's grass-finished, and one's just like no antibiotics, nor hormones, but it's grain-fed, you know. Because mm-hmm. so, I understand people... The, the texture, the flavoring is obviously different. I prefer the grass-fed stuff myself. It's a darker red. I think it's a healthier meat overall. But it's not quite double the price, but it's... It's it, for sure healthier. That we know for sure. Oh, clearly. yeah, dude. Yeah. And I think the same thing with fish, too. Like, if you... Like, it's wild-caught right. is the ideal. Because now they have a lot of these... The research you look, like, there's... The omegas and some of these salmons are gone. 
Right. Like there's no fucking nutrients in them at all, which really freaks me out. And the omegas in grass-fed, grass-finished beef are higher than most people realize. It's insane, dude. So I was just, yeah, that's curious. Have you tried, uh, I'll say this, they don't sponsor the podcast, uh, Koya. <laughs> no. Uh, K-O-I-A. No. God, Koya, if you're listening, send me a check because I'm promoting <laughs> you again. This is the second day in a row. Uh, they're these plant-based um, protein drinks. Okay. They're in the refrigerated sections, whole foods, sprouts. Uh, what do you... Where are you guys at? You're in Atlanta. What does Atlanta yeah. have? What is it? Is that Publix or is that? Uh, they have Kroger oh, yeah. and Trader Joe's we go to and Whole Foods. Whole Foods will have them for sure. Um, but they're, they taste amazing. And they're complete proteins. Um, pea rice and hemp to blend. Um, they have all the aminos in there. It's like seven grams of fiber. I think they're about 200 calories per. Like they 20- have chocolate flavored, coffee flavored. I've had them. Oh, I yeah. Know, now, I was, I was thinking meat when you were saying oh, yeah, koi. Yeah, yeah, I'm no, like, no. what kind of meat? I've never heard of that brand. But oh, no. yes, I've they're had those drinks. great. Dude. Yeah, they are really good. Uh, I'm addicted to them. I could drink like 10 in a day, but they're like four bucks a pop. Right. And I'm like, I just drank $20 worth of protein shakes yeah. in two minutes. But I do like that stuff. I'm a fan of, of certain things. I just... I just love meat, dude. Yeah, me too. That's I love what it. it is. Uh, so supplements you take, anything? Uh, I do. So one thing I learned is people over supplement and it causes disruption in your in your body as well and hormones and gut bacteria. So I take a multivitamin uh, and chelated minerals just twice a month. I'm sorry, twice a week. I do a fish oil and I because I don't eat that much fish. Uh, I do vitamin D and vitamin C five days a week. And then, some, and I'll do a mushroom supplement. I take mushroom supplements probably three or four days a week as well. Like, uh, like lion's mane. Yeah. A bit, like a, a blend. Yeah, it's of a it. blend. Of, it's a blend. I think I got one here. We take a bunch of different ones actually. Um, yeah, these guys have like a little ten mix. Have you seen the documentary Fantastic Fungi? I have uh, not. It's, it's beyond brilliant. Understanding, Was, just understanding the, the intelligence and the, whole culture of fungi and mushrooms are one of them uh, one of the thousands of species there's thousands of mushroom species but uh just the nourishment and then the how they provide nourishment and communication between trees underground it's cool stuff it's crazy because they're like they're alive and we don't really think of them that way which kind of nuts uh so mobility tissue work uh how often do you do like dedicated mobility work obviously every morning you wake up you have a little flow you go through uh, do you do movement prep before? Do you do um, your own like soft tissue stuff with foam rolling? Do you get professional massages? I definitely do foam rolling. Do it at least a few days a week. Um, my Every pre-workout for me, if I'm going to do a workout, is a good 8 to 10 minute functional movement. Uh, just good body prep, movement prep. Uh, professional massages, I love. I'm addicted to them. Uh, I used to get them a lot more. Uh, but I just moved to Atlanta, so I don't know. I haven't found the right person place yet. That's tough, too. Because I'm really picky. In Dubuque, I had two massage therapists that were phenomenal. I would probably go twice a month, once every other week. Well, the worst thing is when you go and I can talk over the massage therapist. <laughs> so when, like, I know the insertion points and they don't, I'm like, I'm fucked. This right. is garbage. <laughs> so we have some great places here. But I would tell anybody, uh, obviously, you know, budget-wise, be mindful of what you can do. But to me, good body work, it's like going to the dentist. Yeah. You still have to floss and brush on your own, but if you can have somebody like work out the stuff that's rough for you, especially like if you have, if it's like glutes, TFL, maybe your hamstring, like they're going to push on that way harder than you can. Oh yeah. Definitely. <laughs> uh, so if I move uh, gears here, um, cause I'm going to kind of go, I'm going to get into the book in a second. Yeah, no problem. What's the, um, as you've done it for even longer than me, I mean, you're basically a lifer at this point. What's the um, like the biggest challenge you kind of see in the industry overall? 
Like, is there one thing where, man, if we could fix this, people could be healthier? Whether it's, again, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm just curious to know if, if there's one you're like, you know what, this is something we suck at and we could be better at in general. As a, as a f- health and fitness professional, I've always put fitness <clears throat> in the umbrella of health. And not everybody does, right? They just think of it as fitness as fitness. Hey, I got to get my clients fit. And there comes a point where fitness crosses the threshold and actually starts cr- having diminishing returns on longevity and well-being. And when I trained my pro athletes, I would tell them, because most of the pro athletes I had were towards the end of their career, the last four or five years of their career. And I would say, listen, I'm going to teach you this other stuff. I'm also going to focus on your fitness because you're getting paid millions of dollars to do this. So we're going to do this, but I need you to start thinking these things. So I think as fitness professionals, health professionals, nutritionists, health coaches, all of us, we need to start looking at real long-term health and connecting the physical, the mental, and the spiritual health. It doesn't have to get woo-woo-wah-wah spiritual stuff, but at least start combining the mental and the physical because they're really deeply connected and really looking at helping people find joy in their life and find wellness in their life, not just thinking about the quick results for how fast can I help my client lose weight and get ripped if it's going to harm them in the long term. One of the things that I struggled with is because I'm one of those guys who's an overeater and I gained weight a lot and lost weight throughout my life. And even I remember when I first lost those 20 something pounds and cut my body fat in half and decided I want to become a trainer. By the time I got certified as a trainer, I gained all that weight back. And in my first year as a trainer, my head trainer came up to me. He's like, Sergio, if you, you're already building a lot of clientele, you're doing great. But if you want to succeed in this and be long term, you got to trim up, brother. You can't look like shit. You can't look. And I didn't look like shit. I just didn't look great, right? Yeah, I, mean, I get it. And I felt so embarrassed. And I, I used the excuse. I'm like, David, you know, people that are big buff meatheads like you guys, you guys are intimidating a lot of people. I get a lot of clients that like me because I'm middle of the road. Yeah. And I was BSing myself, giving myself excuses. You justify it right? how we need to. Yeah. Yep. But then I went, I was so embarrassed. I went and lost weight again, but then I gained it. I couldn't figure out how to keep it off. And that's when I learned about insulin. And after four or five years, and ever since then, I've been able to keep it off forever. And I think that we need to start thinking about what are long-term solutions? What am I really doing for my client? We're an impatient society. People want to lose weight fast. They want to gain muscle fast. They want to get ripped. But we got to coach them on like, hey, here's, if you really want this, what's the reason? You know, am I helping you? You don't do anything in the professional sports. Do you really need to get ripped this fast? Or can we do it a little bit slower? The body likes to trans- transition gradually. And so I just think people need to be more, health professionals need to be more conscious and coach people on, you know, caring for themselves, loving themselves, um, and doing it where it becomes a lifestyle, not just selling a program that I can get you ripped six-pack abs in six weeks. I agree. That's, uh, we frame it two ways. I'll steal a David Jack term here. Uh, it's like when your fitness steals your fitness. And the way I phrase it is people want to do something so extreme, they'll come in and say, hey, Jeremy, I want to do what you do. And I'm like, the juice isn't worth the squeeze for you, bro. And I mean that because, like, I don't work at Wells Fargo. Like, I'm not selling fucking insurance, dude. Like, I take my clothes off still, like, for money. Like, this is this is kind of part of the show here. <laughs> and this is just how I'm wired. Like, I'm a grinder, you know, where – and I'll use Dave Jack as an example because you know Dave real well too. Dave likes to play. Like, Dave will, like, grab a rock and hike up a mountain and he'll do all these weird things. I don't do that. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to do fucking split squats, step ups, deadlift. I'm going to push a sled. I'm going to kill myself. But that's kind of my weird psychopath mentality where for a lot of other people, 
that's probably not the best path for them. And right. and for longevity, you might do that for two months. You can do that for the next 25 years. And that's where, again, like you said, that's the conversation I think people need to have. And you only have so many fitness checks you can cash in your life. And my goal is, yeah, there's certain things I want to do, but I want to be doing this when I'm 70. Yeah. Like in, in whatever capacity that is. Like I never want to give it up. And I don't think people, I guess they're, it's short term. They're looking, I'm stepping over, you know, dimes basically to pick up pennies in terms of results. And what you're trying to do is what we do here, teach something that's sustainable for the rest of your life. And there's seasons of that, obviously, but yeah, I want to get jacked in, in 60 days, but if you had to give up your whole life to do it and you didn't eat anything and you train four hours a day, what's the odds of you doing that six years from now? Yeah, Pretty Zero. small, pretty <laughs> small. Well, and I do think part, the part of the problem, we're in this microwave culture. Well, my friend did it in 30 days or like every, everything needs to happen super quick. And we're guilty of it too. You and I are like, we do it with Amazon. I want the shit to show up in my door in two days. Right. I, I get it. And if, if it takes five days, I'm like, why does it take five days to ship? These guys are like that with fitness, except you can't really shortcut it. Yeah. It always goes away, which is crazy. So if we, you and I were talking before, just like the kind of obesity numbers uh, and what they are. And I have them just listed real quick. And you guys have heard me say this before. If we look at, this is per, I think, Harvard and the CDC, they put together obesity is like 43%, I think, right now. Adults who are overweight, including obesity, is like 73 75%, give or take. And so if they look at the, the projections by like 2030, it's like over half would be obese, which is scary to say, and almost nearly every person would be overweight, which is fucking mind blowing. So knowing that, like, what is the, how do you, how do we even try to fix that? And what is the, the biggest roadblock that you see for a lot of people that you've seen over the last, you know, 20 years in terms of people improving their dietary habits or or being physically active? Like, is there one or two things that kind of get in their way? Uh, that's, a, that's a big question, brother. Um, it's a lot, dude. Yeah. So, because obviously, like we 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 do everything. Like we're, I feel like we are in the Titanic, with like a fucking a cup trying yeah. to get water out of the boat, and I'm like, <laughs> the boat's just sinking like crazy because it's going the wrong way. Yeah, and and it's crazy because the amount of money being spent on weight loss is. Holy crap, like 75 billion a year in America alone and 377 billion globally on weight loss. And we can't lose weight. We're gaining weight. Well, and you talk about the products, right? So the, some of these have real money. Peloton, Tonal, Mir. I mean, you're talking fucking hundreds and hundreds and millions of dollars. Yeah. Yet we're not getting fitter. Yeah. Well, what, what's, what's the point? I think the, um, the key is self-awareness, self-love, and self-care, man. I think if we spent five to ten minutes meditating and just going inward things will shift it it, it it it's inevitable that it'll shift because there's a there's some wisdom deep within us that will just tell us hey we got to make a change and it doesn't matter that you know i i don't get to eat my fast food you won't miss it i mean truck drivers gave up fast food and they go now they'll go eat it once a month when that's what that was their whole life because I taught them just self-awareness, self-care, self-love. You know, forgive yourself for the crap you've messed up on in life. Move on. Learn from it a little bit and move on. But learn to love yourself, man. you got to spend some time looking in. And I think that's, that will make the world a difference. I think if everybody meditated five to ten minutes, we wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have these political extremes. 
we'd have differences, which is fine, and it's great, and different ideas and different beliefs and stuff like that, but we'd be a lot closer to the middle and make a lot better choices. What if you could slow down? I think, you know, we get so busy working in your life, you don't really get to step back and work on it or be like, hey, you know what? I'm on a shitty path right now. And I'm a huge fan of self-auditing because I've sucked at everything in my life. Like, literally, I've been terrible. I mean, other than I'm naturally kind of athletic. But short of that, like, I'm terrible. But to sit back and, you know, it's like the guy who's been married six times. He's like, oh, all these women are crazy. It's like, bro, maybe it's you. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we don't really do that with our food, with the way we're living life. We just kind of get up. And I understand everybody's busy. You have kids and a career, you know, the economy, politics, whatever you're worried about. But the one thing you can control is what you eat and how you move and how mindful you are of your time. Yet those things kind of just go over the top of our heads and we get so wrapped up in our own crazy shit. Yeah. Which brings us to, you wrote a book. What is it called? Why write the book? Why now? Break it down for us. Yeah, man. Uh, so the book is called "Say Goodbye to Belly Fat," and the subtitle is "Who Doesn't Want to <clears throat> Who Doesn't Want to Get Rid of Belly Fat?" <laughs> right. And then the subtitle is Six Steps to Mastering Your Insulin and Losing Weight for Good." Uh, because I think that people yo-yo diet so much, and during COVID, I I jumped onto obviously um, a lot more online coaching versus having my gyms anymore. And through that, the the common thread I was getting from people either asking me about coaching or even just asking me questions online during my videos was, man, I'm gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight and I'm stressed and have a lot of anxiety. So that my, my book was really on, when I remember studying insulin 14, 15 years ago and deep into it, and that's what really helped me kind of lose that last time I lost 24, 25 pounds. I'm going to stop. Like, if you can explain to these guys when you say, I I know what you're saying. Right. But when you say like insulin, these guys are like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? What does he mean insulin? Yeah, How does that work? Just a super simple, I eat a bunch of Sour Patch Kids. How does it go from there? Yeah. So then your butt, your, the sugar thickens your blood because you start turning your blood into syrup. You probably can even tell you guys <laughs> like you get thirsty. Yeah. Like literally, yeah. like it, it happens pretty quick. So your body has a response saying, whoop, we can't let this happen because we're going to die. So the um, hormone response is to release insulin into the bloodstream to bring the blood sugar level back down. When that happens too frequently, your cells become desensitized to the insulin. The insulin can't get into the cell. So the body continues to produce insulin, whether you need it or not. And that becomes insulin resistance. And then that leads to diabetes. And that's for the most part, and we're talking type two diabetes, obviously that's for the most part, a curable thing. 1000%. Like we could just I've, get rid of it. Yeah, I've helped. I would say at least 15 drivers I know that were on diabetes medications that came off of it 100%. And that's just lifestyle habits Completely. that brought them into it. Yeah. That's what's fucking crazy to me. The fact that you could, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but you could do something where you essentially, and obviously there's genetic outliers and whatever, so I'm not talking about that. The normal person like me, if I was to, to just keep eating like cookies and cakes all day, to the point of where, hey man, we're gonna have to cut your your foot off, like that's real shit, which just blows my mind. So that's what he means by insulin. <laughs> yes. Continue. And, and again, most of those things like you're in a calorie surplus already because you're eating these super high caloric foods that are deficient in most nutrients, yeah. and repeatedly doing that over time, and then your body is just like, well, what the hell is going on? And you create this disease that does not need to be there. Like that's just that would make me feel so bad. Like to to do that to yourself. 
But the cool thing is, is if you catch it early enough and you are willing to change the habits, you essentially can reverse all that. Yeah. And I love that you said that you're not trying to make anybody feel like Dr. Peter Tia, who's a mentor of mine. And I follow. Oh, yeah. He was this on uh, Rogan, right? I think. Yeah. He's everywhere. I mean, the guy's just a genius. Yeah. Um, He has a uh, TED talk from way back in his career. And he talks about how he used to really almost shame and have so much anger towards type 2 diabetics coming in for an amputation or some kind. I heard, I heard that. And he gets teary-eyed and choked up asking for forgiveness of people because the medical industry has been pumping insulin into them, which makes it worse. It That's makes so it 1,000% worse. And, you know, and he's just like, I'm so sorry. And it's just an awesome thing. But so I, I wrote this book because I wanted people to one, improve their mental health, and two, stop this yo-yo dieting. And I thought COVID would be a great opportunity for people to, like, look, if we're working from home, I could start focusing on things a little bit differently. I'm, you, people are spending more time understanding what's important. They're forced to spend more time with their family. So I just thought it was the right time to, for me to kind of really write this book about how would people really get off this yo-yo dieting and improve not only their physical health, but their mental health, because insulin is connected to every one of the chronic diseases cancers, diabetes, dementia, heart disease, and even depression. So I thought belly fat was a good hook word. Like everybody wants to lose belly fat, like you said. I'll put it on the title of the podcast. It'll do well, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but I really wanted to, you know, teach them what, what they really need. And I didn't want to write a book that was, oh, I got to read all this stuff and all the science behind it. I try to simplify the science and give people, like, a, a, like you said, a manual to just let me start taking action. Let me do these six steps. And let me start feeling a difference right away. Yeah, because how long? I went, uh, I would say I went through it on PDF today, so I didn't see. How long is it? 85 pages. Okay. And the and we talked about this before. I do like Lots it. Lots of pictures. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, um, it's like there's activities for you to do, essentially, to kind of audit your lifestyle, which we'll talk about. And I do like that where there's actionable steps for me, because I'm, I'm like a third grader. So if it's just, you know, here's 800 pages of words, I'm like, fuck it, dude, give me the audible. I don't even want to deal with it. But if it's like, Hey, I'm going to read a chapter. I'm interested in it. And now here's an action I can take from it. To me, that becomes more real. Cause I, to, in my opinion, we have enough information. Like we do and we don't like, there's just, the world is flooded with it. And the problem is basically sifting through what's horseshit and what's real, but knowing is not enough. You actually have to do shit. And that's the takeaway. It's like when you actually go through the book, like you have to do something. There is some accountability to the person. Like, hey, I'm actually going to fill these out. And if you're willing to do that and be honest with yourself, that's what I think is helpful. If you go through any personal development course, you have similar pieces in there that is applicable to that anybody could read this and go through them, which is kind of cool. And so as I was going through it, I'm reading it and probably, you know, I'm going to go back to this before I say that. When people have like diabetes and they go to their physician, I wonder how many of them, the physician suggests, hey, let's do this protocol uh, to eat right and change the habits or, hey, just take these drugs. Like, is it just for drug pushing most of the time? So from my experience, because I've worked with probably 150 people that are diabetic, the vast majority is just pushing the drug. There are. And then in saying eat better is just like a, a secondary accessory note. Yeah. I mean, if, if they even mention it. Like on 20, 25% of the people, they, the, the doctors are mentioning it. And I would say probably 5%, they are really, like they're actually sending them to nutritionists and say, look, you need good nutrition coaching. You, need, you know, 
and let's work on getting you off of this. But 95% are not trying to get them off. And for those people who go on those drugs and they're 35, when do they come off? So ever the scary, crazy thing is most doctors are still telling their patients that diabetes is a lifelong drug or you're, you're on it for life because when you start somebody on insulin, you be, create more insulin resistance. So you need more, you gain more weight, you start to lose your vision, you start to lose your limbs. It's just, this is a lifelong diagnosis, what they say, which is the craziest thing that, I'm, that you're still hearing that. That's actually nuts. Have you seen uh, Off Topic? They're like the, uh, my guy the other day had like a, it was like a glucose monitor. Yeah, those are the best. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever used one of those? No, man, because, and I've been talking about them for years, but they used, you have to have, used to have a prescription for them. Now they're over the counter just in oh, the last like year. Okay. I didn't know because he has like some, he has a naturopath that's a little bit mm-hmm. out there. Um, so maybe I, like maybe they called it in for him. But yeah, but he had a, it was like, it looks like a button yeah. on his arm and then on his phone, it has his, its glucose levels, right? Yeah, in real exactly. time. Yep. Those are kind of cool. It's so important. And, and again, I, I teach in my book how to f- identify insulin response as best as you can by just looking in and feeling and, and being aware of your response to how you f- eat, how you feel after your meal. But ideally, you want a continuous gl- blood glucose monitor because there's sh- studies show somebody can eat three bowls of white rice and their blood glucose stays the same, while the next person eats a half a bowl of white rice and it spikes through the roof. And we're all different. And everybody wants the book that just tells you what to eat, what not to eat. In my book, while I give you sim- simple, clear steps, you got to start figuring out some of the stuff for yourself. You are your own best nutritionist because we're all different. I can't give you the best diet. And I just want to be truthful with that. You have to just spend some time paying attention. If you spend a couple of weeks journaling it, you'll realize what works for you and what doesn't. Um, or get a uh, continuous blood glucose monitor and you know right away. That is true. And that's, I think... Uh... I think it was like Pavel Toussaint. He said it. How did he say it? He was like, I'm an enemy of nutrition. And what I think what he meant was he's just like, because everybody's different. It, yeah. it, each person is so like you and I might eat similar, but it's not the same. Like BJ and I might eat similar, but it's not the same. Like we're all a little bit different. And even in our groups, like we coach the basic stuff, eat real food. If it can be organic, we obviously coach on macros. But the number one question I ask is like, how do you feel? How are you moving? And then how do you look is the third one. I'm like, because if you feel like shit and you're moving like shit, how you look is almost irrelevant. Right. <laughs> and each person, my prescription, it might work for this guy, but then this guy might be starving. And this person's okay with eating this, but this person doesn't react that way. And again, to your point, that's the takeaway if you guys are listening, you do have to do the work yourself. And that's why eating right is so hard because you have to do it forever. What works at 25 might not be the same at 45. At all. It changes, it changes on a regular basis. And that's a crazy thing. So as I went through... I read through most of the book today. Obviously, the stuff that I'm not going to read about macros because it makes me want to puke. Um, I read them all day. Yep. But it's great information. Obviously, people don't know. Almost all the stuff, like it's the same things we teach here, and I align with it. And to get into just some of the myths really quick, so people are listening. A lot of you guys have heard me say some of these before. The two probably biggest ones, I guess I'll go number one first. Um, people have this idea and maybe it's the whole, the dieting, uh, culture. It's why I'm not a fan of like meal plans because, you know, I'm going to give you something that you're not really going to follow anyway and doesn't teach you anything. I'm a fan of you guys learning what's actually going on, but people got into this belief of, well, all carbohydrates are bad for you and carbs are terrible and it's just not true. Not even close. You know, again, you, you had Atkins going on for a while in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, that got shut down really quickly when Dr. Atkins the cardiologist that promoted it died of heart disease. It's crazy. <laughs> in the 60s. Um, 
I mean, the amount of acid and inflammation uh, and the stress on the kidney and liver were crazy. Now you've got keto. And again, keto, if you look at the real studies, there's no studies longer than 10 years. Multiple studies show a lot of adverse response to keto after about eight or nine years. And there's a lot of doctors, even uh, Atiyah, who promotes ketogenic diet done in a certain way. He goes in and out of ketosis. Most people try to promote ketosis on a regular basis. Or and let's, long let's be real. Most people, the average person, like, and again, he's a, he's an anomaly, yes. right? The average person, you're not testing every day. Right. Like you're not in no offense to anybody. You're probably not anywhere near ketosis, bro. Right. <laughs> Cause you're talking like a 200 pound dude. What is that a day for carbs? Like 40 at max. Yeah. It's crazy. That's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah. And trust me, dude, I've been on stage with shredded glutes, bro. And <laughs> eating 40 carbs a day is fucking miserable. Right. And your life is terrible. And I'm a psychopath. So I can't imagine if I'm like, I'm a mom of three kids. And I'm eating 20 carbs a day. Right. That seems like a miserable existence. Again, it works for somebody. Yeah. So what I, well, in the data and research, I'm a research nut, you know, we do know for sure from the standard American diet, going into keto, going to Atkins, going to almost anything will help you have better results and feel better initially. Um, but even so will just switching from processed carbs in the standard American diet to normal carbs like lentils, beans, brown rice, or wild rice, and things like that. So are carbs bad for you? Absolutely not. I mean, there's populations around the world that eat 80% carbs, and they have no obesity, no heart disease, no, you know, anything. So we weird. Yeah. <laughs> How is that? Yeah. It's just finding the right, like you say, and you've always said it, is whole and real foods. And that's, that's what we got to focus on the most. But carbs are absolutely essential for our brain function and for our, um, for our bodies. We need energy. You know, and that's the hard part because I get how it gets the bad rap. Like, are they, like, there's essential proteins, there's essential fats. There's no essential carbohydrates. So meaning there's not one particular one you have to eat to survive. I get that. They're also the most easily overeaten of all the macronutrients because they're in basically everything other than water and meat. However, if you were really to go through your day and let's say you put fruit aside and you're trying to eat 200 grams of carbohydrates through vegetables, you'll never do it, bro. It's impossible. <laughs> and so you'll self-regulate when you guys obviously eat real food. Um, and they are the most, I guess, the, the easiest available energy source of the body. So if you do them correctly, you guys are going to be totally fine. Um, you don't have to be afraid of them, but you have to be mindful. Like, but I think you should be mindful of all the food you eat. Yeah. So, which brings me to the second one: fats make you fat. The people who, you know, hey, I'm only going to eat egg whites because I'm deathly afraid of eating the egg yolk, even though that's where the fat-soluble vitamins are and most of the nutrients are, short of the protein, which is crazy. But people also have the fat makes you fat belief, which is also not oh, true. And and. I, I don't want to hope my wife doesn't listen, <laughs> but for years, she, all she, her, the first thing she looks on the label is how many grams of, but, but look, baby, it's healthy. Look, how many low grams of fat. I go, babe, we've had this conversation 35 times for about 15 years. Yes. Please stop telling me about fat grams. Um, you know, obviously you're looking for the right sources of fat. There are different qualities of fat. You want a variety of fats. The problem is that most people are eating fats that are uh, unsaturated fats, which are unstable in high heat. On, in baked goods, crackers, cookies, breads, and things like that. And that's where the harm comes in. Well, like, they, I think it's, I don't know if this is still true. Someone can fact check me. If it's like where it'll say zero grams of trans fat. But I think that's 
if it's under 0 0.5 grams per serving. Correct. So meaning you can still have trans fat in your shit. It and doesn't so, have to be trans fat, just any fat. Yeah, they, can, they put that in the label. Yeah, so if you had, let's say it's like a jar of peanut butter, like you buy your insert whatever generic shit brand, and it says zero of this, it's not really true. There could be multiple, multiple grams in it over the course of the entire jar, which you're most likely to eat, not just in one sitting, but over the period of time. So you're still getting those fats into your body. Right. And I think, what is it, labels can be off like, Maybe like 20%. They, there's lobbyists changing that all the time, too. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, what was the, God, there was a movie. It's like Fed Up or something. And some of those documentaries are like, some of them I think they're full of shit because it's fear-mongering. Right. Where they're like, oh, meat is as bad as cigarettes. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I go, but there was one where I think Schwann's, someone can look up this up, too. Schwann's basically got approved into the school lunches because they had, as a vegetable, for their tomato paste, which was on the pizza. And that qualified as a vegetable because I think the contract was like in the millions and millions of dollars. And that's when you start to understand like, again, we're in the Titanic, bro. Because like there's so much money like in the in these industries, the FDA, PepsiCo, all these guys, Frito-Lay. And I'm sure they're all great companies. I'm sure they're really great people. But they're fucking businesses. Right. Their goal is to make you eat 48 chips, not seven chips, which is nuts. Yeah, so the keto people will be on our side for this one. Um, fat does not make you fat at all. There are some amazing health benefits to fat. Uh, there was a miner that had a, was in a coma for 30 days from Pennsylvania. And this is mid to late, 1990, late 1990s, early 2000s. And I was training a client who his neighbor was the neurosurgeon for University of Pennsylvania or University of Pittsburgh. And he's the one he woke up in the middle of the night and said, we're going to pump his brain with omega-3s. And that reduced the inflammation and got him out of his... Out of his uh, coma um look fat does not make you fat spiking insulin on a regular basis makes you fat that's where we can go with that one well i think you guys too if you're you need to know the difference between okay i'm having an avocado or i'm cooking with coconut oil or i'm just eating cheeseburgers <laughs> those are different things yeah and that obviously you have to be aware of that so if we move on to kind of the mindful uh eating which you talk about and i think we did this in a podcast where it was like chewing your food and they they dug it down to, I don't want to say it was, you should chew your food like 38 times or something before you swallow, like some crazy number. Yeah, it's high. And like you watch your dog eat, it's like two bites and it's fucking gone. <laughs> and sometimes like I'm guilty of it too. I'm trying to be better, but you talk about that, not just the mindful eating if you want to go talk about it a little bit, but you also give them almost like a, like a post-meal like Q&A where they kind of are auditing what they're doing and why is that important? And because we're saying these things and I don't think it's crazy because I've already, I've either done this externally, like you have kind of in the book or internally, I do it all the time. Like whether it's consciously or subconsciously now when I go to a grocery store, yeah, I want to grab, you know, fucking cinnamon toast crunch, but I don't do it. I might walk by it once in a while, but I never pick it up because I've already sold myself on why this is going to make me feel like shit. Most people don't, but that's me having this internal conversation. And then when I eat something being like, okay, I ate that. It's like, we do it already. You drink too much booze in college. You puke, you feel like shit. You promise yourself you won't do it. And then you keep doing the same stupid thing. Most unhealthy adults are doing that all the time because they're not auditing. And so why do you think it's so important to do it? And I guess why don't, why have we never done that before? Again, I think because the focus has been on this super productive society, right? Produce more, produce more, produce more, do more, be busier, get more shit done versus pause for a second. What is it that your body and mind truly want out of life? What's going to help you feel better, more positive, more alive and alert? 
and how can and, and those things will help you get more out of life and be more productive but they don't sell that for, they sell the, the production first true so mindful eating there's three phases in it. and like you mentioned this book is steps right so there's six steps and each of the steps have several micro habits and the micro habit is mindful eating has three parts of it before your meal you know we all get hunger triggers so pay attention is it really hunger or is it stress or boredom or a response to smelling something, or is it a certain time of day where you normally eat, but actually you're not really hungry, you just get the hunger trigger. Um, so I usually tell people take five deep breaths, drink a glass of water, and ask yourself, when was the last time I ate? If it was less than three and a half, four hours ago, then pause again, set your timer for 10 minutes, take a walk, stretch, do something, go answer some emails, be busy, and then check 10 minutes later, am I really hungry? That's the pre-mindful, pre-meal. And then obviously when you're ready to eat, Spend 60 seconds just being grateful for your food, whether you use prayer or just breath work and, and gratitude. So it prepares your body into a parasympathetic nervous response so you can, your digestive system is turned on. Most people eat in a hurry, stressed, or while they're working, or a combination of all three, most of their meals, which means now you have a sympathetic nervous response, fight or flight, even though it's micro, you start shutting off your gut, your digestive system. And... My, my business partner who helped me build my wellness program, uh, Dr. Novick, she's got a couple PhDs. When she was working at Stanford, she was looking at poop and she was able to, to, to understand who was eating stressed and who was not stressed by what was undigested food. No shit. Yeah, that's all her job for a whole two semesters looking at shit. <laughs> that's, um, <laughs> that's I mean, it gig. sounds cool, but sounds nasty, but yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I've got used to looking at my own because I've done a bunch of functional medicine stuff. And how and is that? Because like when, obviously like how the gut works and your intestines are moving, they, I imagine like waves of like a pool and obviously they're, you're always kind of digesting and breaking stuff down, but because they're so stressed, it's just, it happens too quickly. When you have the fight or flight response what happens is your blood flow goes to all your extremities, your hormones and everything goes because you're supposed to either fight or run. So your digest system isn't really working. So food is just passing through. It's not taking the energy to, to, to absorb the nutrients That's and break gnarly. it down. Yeah. Like when you get like super nervous, right? Fuck super nervous when you're working because working is tied to survival. They well, I, they've I shown have, it. Dude, I, I teach jumping jacks for a living, bro. Right. I don't have that. No, right. I, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, well, you're stressed as hell. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's tied to survival. So subconsciously, we have microdoses of of uh, stress going on. And then if you start thinking about your bills or you start thinking about anything else and you're eating at the same time, you're screwed. That's pause. Cool. So mindful and conscious eating, just pause, man. Slow down. Enjoy the food. Be grateful for it. Think about, you know, the labor that had to get put into farming and agriculture or, or the animal's life that got sacrificed. And be just spend a time in gratitude. To calm yourself down. Then eat super slow. Like, you know, in the beginning, what I teach my kids and my family is like, and we don't do this all the time, for sure. But now they know the, the habit of like, slow down. What does that mean? Hey, for at least 60 to 90 seconds, we're not even going to talk. We're going to just chew slowly and absorb the taste, the texture, the smells. And we giggle and laugh and look at each other. This is kind of weird. And we hear our stomach digesting. But it's become a fun thing. And now my kids understand the science behind it. So just slow down and eat consciously and mindfully. And if you start chewing 20 to 30 times, <clears throat> you know, they'd recommend 30 to 40. But I start my kids 20 to 30. We just do it. It's a, jo it's a game. And you start to be aware of how food is making me feel. And you know what? I don't want to keep eating because it's not going to, I know that if I take three or four more bites, I'm not going to feel good. It's crazy because I remember somebody when I first started, and again, like when we you say the term mindfulness, 
I like it, but I also hate it at the same time because yeah. everybody uses it for everything. And I'm like, you guys are so full of shit. That's just, you're having a gratitude moment. Shut the fuck up and move <laughs> on. Um, but when I think about it, someone posed me the question, have you ever really, you know, eaten an orange? I'm like, yeah, dude, like a million times. Like, no, no. Have you ever really eaten it? So like the mindfulness practice of like, what is the texture of it? Like when you peel it and open up, like how does what it What do you smell? Yeah, exactly. It's, that's kind of like, you know, when people ask you, what's the first thing you taste in the morning? Like, is it coffee? Is it water? Is it toothpaste? Because we don't, it's just these things we go through and do. And I know we keep driving back to like slow it down, but I do think that's probably one of the biggest things. I, I just think of like when we eat with uh, dinner with friends, it's typically so much different. And I eat way slower now than I used to, but we're, we're there with people. I'm mindful of the conversation. That meal takes 10 times as long if it's just Heather and I. Yeah. If it's just her and it's like, like fuck it, dude. And like we just eat, we go through the. And again, I'm not woofing it down in two seconds. But it, I'm also not eating pizza and cookies, which right. if that was the case, it'd probably be different. So I do think there's a lot to be said about just kind of slowing down the whole process. It's funny. I was talking to the drivers and I was telling about this. And a lot of these drivers come from the military and like, well, we come from the military and we were given, you know, 80 seconds to eat a full meal. And, you know, even in trucking, we're always on a deadline. So it's, it's hard to slow down and eat. And the trucker actually corresponded to his, this other truck driver that said that and said, you know, I've been doing this slow eating. And what I realized, I eat half my meal compared to what I used to eat, so it doesn't take as long. It may take a minute longer, but I'm not eating as much, so it doesn't take you really much more time. You know, and the guy's are like, oh, that makes sense, because you start eating less food. You, just, you don't need as much. When you're eating in a hurry and stressed, you block leptin, which is the hormone that tells you that you're full. And that's why I say, if you just scarf food down, you know, I tell a story in my book. I used to smoke weed with my buddies and drink beer and watch the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, which I love your Jordan posters. You know, and Sounds we, like a fun night. Oh, my God. It was good times. Yeah. In Chicago, deep dish stuff pizza. Oh, yeah. Where, eat, what was your uh, Luminati's or Gino's? No, we would get Barry's pizza. Not many people know this. Barry's no. spot. It was thicker. I, I love Luminati's more than Gino's, but we do like we like them both. It's so thick. They have them here now. And there's another one called Pequod's in, in Chicago. Pequod's and Barry's, I don't know if it's still around, man, but those are... That was the shit. To die for, yeah. yeah. So you get high as hell. Yeah, we used to get high and drink some beers. And I would eat four or five slices just watching the game, talking to my buddies, not even realizing it. And by the end, I'm like, man, I want more of that first couple bites because they tasted so good. Yeah. But I'm so stuffed and uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It's like, that's like that's why I always go back to real food because you've never done that with asparagus. Never. <laughs> and, you know, it's just it's, it sounds stupid to even say it, which is crazy. God, that's nuts, man. Yeah. But, you know, I took my kids to eat deep dish pizza and, you know, they had never had deep dish pizza. We always get New York style, thicker, thinner stuff. Um, this is about a year and a half, two years ago. And I ate one to one and a half. I ate one and a half slices now versus three and four, you know, and I take my time with it and I don't need leftovers anymore. I don't crave them like I used to. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. And I'm done. Well, I think there's it's like a timing sequence, right? Like when you eat something so fast, your body it doesn't even have in your brain does not have time to process even like what is actually in the gut yet. Right. So if you can slow things down, you might realize actually I was full. It's to me, obviously I'm a gorilla in a warehouse. So I think of it this way. Like, you know, when you're out, when you're young, you're out drinking with your buddies and you're, maybe you had like five, six beers and you take like three or four shots and you feel fine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're not fine. Like you're just wasted, like right. in two seconds. To me, that's the same thing where if I slow down and eat, I realize how full I'm getting in real time. Or if I just shovel it into my mouth, 
I'm already full, but my body and brain have not caught up yet to what my activity is. And I do think there's something to be said about that. As dumb as it sounds for everybody listening, if you can get to the point where you can actually like slow things down, I think it would be a game changer for sure. Get in the habit of just putting the food down every t- after every bite, whether it's a fork or a, you know something you, with your hands. Just put it down and chew a little bit more and pay attention to the taste, the textures, the smells, what, it, what your body notices when you go in. You just mentioned the orange. I do a tangerine meditation with the truck drivers every, during our orientation or our workshop. And just I slowed it down. It was a four-minute experience having a tangerine, you know, and they're like, wow. Just try it with your double cheeseburger. Whatever you feel like having, do it the same thing. You know. I know people are listening and think this is fucking crazy. <laughs> but I, the more I think about how I eat now versus how I used to eat, this is it's pretty much in line with, with what we do. And I do appreciate food, obviously, way more. And how it makes me feel. I think that's the biggest key. Yeah. When you can start to identify, I eat this, I feel good, I eat this, I feel like shit, I eat this. Uh, my nose runs or I become congested or whatever it may be. Like all the, you know... I guess, signs of an adverse reaction to, to whatever you're putting in your body. Which is the third part of the mindful eating. I know you hate the word mindful, but it's pay, it's being mindful. It's being in the moment, paying attention. Well, it you is. use it in a good way. People right. say it on Instagram all the time, and I'm like, you're not being mindful. Stop it. <laughs> so the third part is to now spend the next couple hours paying attention to what, how is the food really reacting to your body? Is your energy going up or is it going down? Do you feel bloated or do you feel neutral? Does your mind feel more clarity or do you feel more mental fogginess? Uh, is your mood up or down and do you feel heat or irritation in your skin and those are big signs like you said the runny nose the irritation of the skin or heat is a sign that that food's not serving you right now well i think people should do that with everything right like with obviously how do we eat during the meal how do we eat afterwards um i mean as gross as you guys want to get how often do i fart how many times you guys taking a shit what is the consistency of that? How regular are you? All these things are indicators of like what is going on in your body and how you're processing things. Yet we have zero education about that yeah. in school and nobody really talks about it. And I do think that's a huge indicator of kind of what uh, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And one of the things that um, really came apparent with the drivers, the truck drivers, is that I had asked a question like how many of you guys eat like a pretty big ass meal that you need an energy drink afterwards. Wasn't the food supposed to give you energy, but they know they have a crash right away, so they go drink their Mountain Dew or their, or their Red Bull or their Monster. Those are three favorite drinks. Yeah. And then an hour and a half later, they'd be hungry again. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm always hungry. I'm like, that's insulin. There's your insulin right there, brother, because your blood sugars dip so low that your body is tricking you to say I'm hungry because you need blood sugars to get back to normal again. They're below normal at this point. And these are probably, I'm just guessing here, uh, very calorie dense meals. Oh yeah, that are not full of a ton of nutrients either. No, and I mean initially when we start talking to you guys, there. I mean it's, it's the two double cheeseburgers, like two double cheeseburgers, a large fry, a soda, and a and a milkshake. So you're talking like <laughs> five thousand calories, and you're eating that in five minutes. Yeah, and nobody can sustain that, not and be in any kind of shape moving forward. There's no way. So if I piggyback off that, uh, and all this connects back to obviously gut health um how important for people listening is like your gut health obviously in terms of overall health in your immune system because most of it obviously resides in the gut but in terms of like fat loss and what happens you know if your you know gut bacteria your microbiome is is completely off and shit i'm sure there's a bunch of adverse effects that kind of happen in the body that most people aren't aware of even yeah, and it's interesting. Still, I don't, I'm surprised how many people don't know that your most of your immune system's in your gut. Is it like 80%? I yeah, think? between 70 and 80. Yeah. 
Which um, is pretty substantial, you guys. <laughs> yes. And that's my, like, if you're trying to be a healthy person in this era of time that we've just lived through this dumpster fire of two years and you've not made any dietary changes, this would be a good time, especially if you do know, hey, most of what's keeping me healthy is residing in my gut where I'm dumping food multiple times a day. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's the the key to nutrients getting in your body or not, right? It's, the, what, it's what dictates what's going to happen with the food that you eat. So your microbiome is paramount. It's, it's super important. Um, in regards to fat loss or, or weight gain, um, an unhealthy gut creates inflammation. If you have an imbalance in your microbiome, if you have more unhealthy or bad bacteria than good bacteria, you create inflammation, you don't absorb nutrients, and you can't regulate insulin. So it, it, they're, they're, I mean, it's just super connected to it. So I tell, you know, step two is get gut healthy. And here are some micro habits to help your gut get healthy, right? You know, have a variety of food. There's so many people that think they're eating healthy, but they're eating the same thing every single day. My yogurt with blueberries for breakfast, my, you know, tuna sandwich for lunch, and then my chicken and vegetables for dinner, which sounds super healthy, but there's just not enough variety in there. That, that'll eventually create a microbiome imbalance. Well, you have to, and that's why I say like, if you obviously can't eat everything through real food, that's when like a supplement would bridge the gap. If you can eat a variety of food, obviously uh, it's ideal. Do you take a probiotic or not? I do. Do you take the same one always forever? Or do no, you... I, I actually, I go to a functional medicine clinic and get my poop checked every two years. No shit. Yeah. How does real that? Shit. No, yeah, shit, shit. Yeah. How does that, how does that work? Oh, uh, it's not easy, man. It's not fun. Because I've done the urine collection. No, they send you a little tray, like a French fry tray, one of those paper trays. And you poop in the tray. And you poop in the tray. And then you got to take this swab and you got to go mix the poop up. And then you got to put it into this other little vial. This, and, sounds, and, and a this, few sounds, vials. this sounds awful. It is pretty awful, man. But I've gotten used to it and it's my own poop, so I'm okay with it. And so what do they tell you based off that? They tell you which, um, what your microbiome uh, profile is and what, micro, what probiotics you should be taking. No shit. Yeah. Interesting. I've always, because I've heard you should obviously mix them up. Like we t do a variety. Like I'm a fan of, like we'll take, uh, obviously like I'll take athletic greens, but I'll drink like, you know, the kombuchas, the kombuchas yeah. that have the live cultures in there too, which I'm a fan of. And if you're eating things like that are good for you, if it's kimchi, if it's sauerkraut, if it's the yogurts, like all those things are great too which I think a lot of people know that the fermented things yeah. uh, tend to be awesome for gut health, which is crazy. Yeah. And I think you don't need to obsess the way I am. I have a condition I've had since I was a little kid. Um, I have a hyperactive histamine system. My dad has it. I think my son has it a little bit too. Um, so certain foods I will, I will rash up, you know, and I'm, and I try to find out what foods and I, and I really pay attention closely. Um, but basically I have a hyperactive histamine system and it's, Food sometimes triggered, sometimes it's not food. Sometimes it's shampoo or soap. Uh, so basically, I'm just always trying to balance my microbiome through prebiotics and probiotics. That makes sense. And again, I think, again, like most people should do it. There's always, again, like that's why, well, hey, Jeremy, do you eat this? I'm like, well, I don't eat that because it doesn't agree with me. Right. Like we have this hot sauce that sponsors the podcast. I don't eat hot sauce. This is not going to happen. Right. It's a bad, like I grew up in the Midwest, like picante salsa was like, <laughs> that was the hottest shit we'd eat, like mild. And I'm like, okay, dad, this is too much. So I get what you're saying. Like we all have an individual kind of need for that. And you have to know yourself, obviously. I have clients that, you know, broccoli is one of the healthiest foods on the planet and they should not eat broccoli. And just, so doesn't, just doesn't, doesn't work. work. Yeah. I get that. Uh, so in terms of uh, macros, obviously I'm, I'm assuming you, 
obviously the book, you touch on it, obviously the importance of it. Um, when working with people, do you have them track them ever um, for a small period of time, extended period of time? What's the kind of overall? What I really do is I teach what macros, how they, how they help the body. Um, I forget the author's name, but um, Eat Smarter did a great job of showing the six macros, um, proteins, fat, fiber, carbs, water, and alcohol. <laughs> Um, oh, we always say like the three, and then yeah. I'll say alcohol is like the fourth redheaded stepchild yeah. of the four. Uh, water and fiber would be the other fifth and sixth. And he calls it the basketball team. Um, and they all need, they all work together. Uh, what I try to teach is how they each function in the body and that the quality of them is more important than the ratio, especially in the beginning. Because we all have different ratios, so we're going to have to spend a little time experimenting to find out what works for us and what are depending on what our goals are. For sure. Um, but I really, I'm adamant about the quality of the of the, the macro versus the quantity. I like that. So, what is your source of carbohydrates? What is your source of fats? What is your source of protein? What's your source of fiber? What's your source of water? You know, alcohol, and quantities. With, you know, um, the macro ratios, I really there's enough studies that support somewhere between 25 and 30% protein, somewhere between 45 and 55% carbs, and somewhere between 20 and 30% fat. That's pretty balanced for most people, but you might be a slow oxidizer, maybe extreme fast oxidizer. Um, or if you're a performance athlete, yeah. if you work in office, or you just want to be shredded. And what you love to eat. For so, sure. You know, I, I, it depends on the person. If it stresses them out, I tell them, let's not worry about it. Let's, let's focus on all the other lifestyle things and your quality of your macros. And let's see how that goes. If you're not losing enough weight, then we can start getting a little bit more specific. And that's how I pretty much coach. I like that. And so we touched on it for a second in terms of like alcohol and booze. What's, um, how do you, pro I mean, personally, what, what do you do? And then how do you approach it with people? Because that's for most people their biggest, that's, yeah. that's their bugaboo, man. Look, there, there's seven grams of sugar for every ounce of alcohol. Um, there's no way it's really good for you. Uh, there, you know, there's studies show if you have one to one and a half glasses of wine, you know, a day, it's not terrible as long as you don't drink it every day. Um, I tell people this, there's seven days a week, more days than not, you shouldn't have any alcohol. It's just, it's not going to be good for you. Even if you have it, one glass of wine, two glasses of wine, six, seven days a week, it's a, it's a toxin. It's, you a, know? Po it's a poison. There's a right. classification. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why when you drink too much, you puke. Yeah. So you don't die. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, you know, and if you're going to drink red wine, you know, make sure it doesn't have tannins. So there's obviously healthy quality red wines versus unhealthy. And the California red wines are usually not the greatest. Um, Shout out to Dry Farms Wine. Yes, Organic, absolutely. sugar-free. Yep. They're great. Yeah. Fit Vine and, and Dry Farm are phenomenal. So. I didn't know that. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I've done like wine tasting in all these places, but I don't drink wine. It's not my thing. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, they can throw like all these additives and bullshit. Oh I guess God. I should. Tons. From now on, I'm just going to assume everything is corrupt. <laughs> Uh, until it's proven not corrupt. Think about cigarettes. They were real tobacco for a while, and now it's real tobacco plus 400 and something chemicals. Dude, I remember as a kid, I would go down to like the local pizza place, and they had cigarettes in a vending machine. <laughs> yeah. Remember that shit? Uh -huh. That's yeah. fucking nuts, dude. Yeah. And like in Sports Illustrated, Joe Camel was like the cool cartoon. <laughs> like the whole world is full of shit, man. Yeah. Um, so I drink alcohol probably one to two nights a week. I'll have a glass of wine, um, and then once or twice a month, I'll have some whiskey. And usually no more than two glasses. I'm really good at stopping at two drinks. Once or eh, maybe a couple times a year, three or three times a year, I'll go up to that four or five drinks, you know. Yeah. 
My tolerance is great, though. I'm fin- I've been a pro for so many years that uh, over the last five, ten years that I've cut way back, I'm still my tolerance is still way up there. It's pretty cool. Well, yeah, and again, you're not. It's not like you're sitting there like slamming shots back. No, to back I don't. To I back. haven't done shots in forever. I don't do shots. Yeah, you let the the system kind of run itself out. But I know for people they're listening to say, "Oh, one glass of wine a night is cool." That's like a a, a pour you get at a restaurant, not the glass <laughs> of wine you're. Th- I mean, that's what when people tell us here. Hey, I drink a glass of wine a night. We automatically double it, right? Because I assume their pours are bullshit. Nine, twelve ounces instead of five ounces. Yeah. yeah, which is tough. So again, I'm not against people doing it. Like obviously, your adults live your life, but just know it does. The compound effect of it is huge. And I always said the visual: if you took a normal person who drinks, like oh, I drink, you know, two or three drinks a day, if you put every drink on the floor in this room, how much floor space would it take up? And it's like. If your body can't really burn fat or oxidize for, you know, this many hours, if it's for every hour you're under the influence, it's like you're not burning fat for two or three months of the year. It's really hard to be lean yeah. and be healthy. And that's kind of what, how I try to preface it to people to freak them out, hopefully. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I'm working with a client right now. She um, actually a high school friend. I hadn't talked to her in 30 years. <laughs> and when I moved to Atlanta, she found out I moved to Atlanta. So we connected on Facebook. And then I found out she was um, her son was killed in college um and she toured she was at business she's been her and her husband been on 60 minutes they tour all over universities because he was in one of those uh fraternities and drank himself to death no shit yeah jesus um just like four years ago so she's got a bunch of hormone issues right and she just can't lose weight she works out and she has a trainer and she's doing all these things so you know but she drinks her wine seven days a week one to three glasses and i said look i need you to stop for 28 days because we need to reset your hormones. Your cortisol levels are through the roof because of what you've gone through. And, uh, and she had a hard time for the first time. The first time she only did it for like a week and a half, two weeks. And I said, every time you do it, we're going to restart. I go, if you really want to normalize your hormones and the weight loss is going to come off, but let's focus on your hormones so you can sleep better. You can do this. And she is just like raves about me now because she was able to stop for 28 days. She's lost like 15, 20 pounds. It's all she needed to lose. Um, and she sleeps a lot better. She feels happier. She has way more energy. Her trainer's like, what are you doing different? And she told him about me and, and our nutrition coaching and stuff. And it's just awesome to see, like, just stop it for a while. Your body needs breaks. You know? I agree. And which brings me to the next one. And you mentioned it. The sleep uh, quality improves yeah. drastically. And I'd always thought, and again, people have said this. I think there's the same studies, too. Um, I don't know if it's the latency of sleep. I know with booze, people say like, well, I have a couple of drinks and I, and I fall asleep. And I'm not debating that, but I think they say like the latency, the amount of times you have disturbances and wake up are drastically more when you had a bunch of drinks versus not having them. So how, obviously knowing that, how important is sleep like when in terms of, I know this already, but how in terms <laughs> yeah. of like being lean, because I've tried to do, you know, obviously when you're a young kid, like I used, I grew up in this, like we're entrepreneurial, obviously. And back in the day, we would work and like we would wear it as like a badge of honor, right? Like, so I slept three hours last night. Yeah. Fuck it, dude. And I come in here and I crush the workout and I'm working harder than everybody. And I'm the hardest working dude ever. But eventually it catches up to you. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And you just, now I'm like eight o'clock, dude. I'm like, I got to lay down because <laughs> I don't want to feel like a bag of shit the next day. And I know what my body feels like, but what it looks like too. Yeah. Like when you can't get sleep, it was like super hard for me to like, to be this lean every day. And now it's like, I'm not saying I don't try, but it just becomes natural because my sleep patterns are so good. Yeah. So there's so much on sleep. Sleep is the most studied area of wellness over the last 30 years. It has been connected to 
diabetes, weight gain, heart disease, dementia, certain cancers. We need deep state and REM, REM state sleep. So we need at least an hour and a half to two hours of each, ideally, ideally two hours of each. And I use a whoop strap um, to check mine. I use it for like a year. Yeah, I, me too. Same thing. And I stopped because I, I learned what I need to do and what I don't need to do. Well, my thing was like we hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim which is, first of all, brutal. Um, amazing experience, but yeah. I wanted to kill myself. In, uh, like, one of the days, it's like, oh, you didn't work that hard today. I'm like, this thing is full of shit. <laughs> but I will say, sorry, whoop, but uh, with the sleep, I did think it was helpful. It's super helpful. Because it showed the disturbances, yeah. which I did think was cool. Anyways. And there's different ways, different things you can monitor it with. But, um, you know, it's it, like I can drink a double espresso and I can fall asleep 30 minutes later. I'm Colombian. It's in my blood. It was born that way. Um, but I know that my sleep quality goes way down, same as when you have alcohol. Yes, you may be able to fall asleep. That's like people say, oh, I fall asleep to the TV. Sure, but check your REM state and your deep state sleep. I and, used to do that all the time. I'm and, getting way better. Yeah, and that's where the healing and everything happens in your body, your metabolism, the regulation of your hormones, the regulation of your microbiome. It's all working while you're sleeping, especially during deep state and REM state sleeps. So we need to get that and... If you don't, you're obviously going to gain more weight and have a much harder time losing weight. Is there anything you tell people other than like the obvious, like, hey, like have a bedtime routine or like do these like one or two things to, or what, or do you just tell them, hey, kind of navigate it on your own? Read my book. No, I'm just kidding. That's it. Boom. By <laughs> yeah, the book, no, there's, suckers. Yeah, there's, there's, there's sleep um, hygiene, obviously, right? So it's trying to sleep within the same hour every night if possible. Um, it's sleeping in complete darkness. It's sleeping with, um, in cooler temperature. It's getting off your electronics 45 minutes to an hour uh, before sleep. It's getting off caffeine, no matter how much you can fall asleep to caffeine. It's stopping caffeine at least six hours, if not 10 to 12 hours before bedtime. So for most people, what is that like two? It'll be like noon, two o'clock, give or take, yeah. something like that. As I'm drinking a coffee right now at three. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, but yeah, no, most days I try to, it's pretty, probably pretty close. Most days I'm probably wrapped up drinking coffee by 12. And then if I go to sleep like eight or nine, I'm probably close. You go to bed at eight or nine? Usually, yeah. And you are good. I'm a Latino, man. I can go to bed before. My I'm, kids go to bed at 1030. I'm an, old, I'm an old man, bro. Yeah. Uh, I might stay up later some days. I just like, I can't, but I'm up so early. Like, yeah. no matter, like, even what time if, do you get up? Uh, like before four. Yeah. You're one of those guys, huh? And just wired though. So I'm like ready to rock. Even if we go out with friends, we went to dinner. Oh, fuck. Just, we've had so many visitors. It's you a great. The, you do the 530, six o'clock dinner? Uh, I try to, yeah. Do you get senior special? Because what did we do? We went, it was Sunday night. How late was it? Was it 545? Yeah, it was like 545. And I remember being at the restaurant, it was like 840. I'm like, we need to go. Like right now. <laughs> and I feel like I'm 100 years old, but I'm like, I got to get up. You guys are going to be like fucking around drinking beers tomorrow. So I try to. But I do think sleep is is crucial. And I try to do it at the same time every night if I can, because I do get up at the same time. Yeah. Which, we go down the sleep rabbit hole all day. But I do think, I had to touch on it because I know it's, it's so important, man. I, ca I cannot emphasize it enough. And people don't get it enough. Your sleep quality is so important, and sleep quantity. I use the, um, I use what's it called, the New Calm, to take my naps. Oh uh, yeah, it goes into deep state sleep, and it takes you through a sleep cycle, um, and actually multiple sleep cycles in thirty to forty minutes. Well, I do think I try like um, I've used some of the apps before for certain things. I always put like a sound machine on too, just uh -huh. different things that we hack it with, but uh, like controlling the breathing, for me. Like slowing the breathing down, I do think helps. Oh, yeah. For sure. To get me like in that mode. Like your dog does it too. If you ever like notice your dog before it lays down, it kind of does it like a hard exhale. It kind of rotates through. I'm like, okay. My dog died, brother. 
Did it really? <laughs> a couple of years. I, we haven't got a new dog. Uh, we, our dog died about a year and a half ago. <laughs> so we got cats now. I, um, my wife and I talk about my dog is almost 12. And I'm like, when this dog dies, I'll be so sad. Like yeah, Saturday. It's heartbreaking. I'm, oh my God, dude. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want people to put it on Instagram. I don't want to say shit. I want to pretend like it never happened. Just ignore it. I'm going to bury it deep down and I'm just going <laughs> to move forward. That's not healthy either, but that's my plan. Uh, <laughs> Last uh, last two questions, we'll go. Um, we did a podcast called like Eating Healthy Despite Your Partner, um, which for a lot of people listening, I think that's, they're in an environment where, I'm not saying it's not supportive. For some people, that's obviously the case. But for some people, they're just, they're with somebody who they're leading from the front and their partner is just, I'm going to generalize, probably the woman who's healthier and the dude is just being a stubborn, you know, idiot. Um how did they how do they navigate that like in this in environment and maybe they got a bunch of kids and and they got to make stuff for the family but then they got to make their own food like how does that even play out yeah it's and it's different for everybody but i had quite a few of those situations with clients uh, throughout my career um i normally you know when you when you start doing that self-awareness and and looking inwards you make you the priority and I always say, ask for support and give them a reason why. You're not telling people, that you, the, the whole family, hey, we're going to eat like this now. Saying, hey, here's what I'm choosing to do and here's why. And I would love your support. So here's what I need from you from support. If you guys want to eat unhealthy, then you got to make your own. Or I just want you to not have, you know, these snacks around the house all the time. Or have one. There's different ways that work for different people. But if you, if you ask your family for, for support... The, the usually will help on some ways, you know, and you're right. When the women ask the men, some of the men say, screw that, honey, I'm eating my da, 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 bullshit, um, much more than the other way around. But women are stronger than men, so they'll stay, stay more disciplined. When, when a guy is going through and his wife is not supportive, he just follows her lead and, and eats shitty anyways, too, most of the time, um, at least in the coaching clients I've had. Um, but... I think it's, you know, it's just asking for that support and, and saying, look, we're a team and here's why it's important as a family, especially if you have kids. I mean, we talked about all the statistics, you know, I mean, think about when I was a kid growing up out of 30 kids in a classroom, maybe there's one kid overweight. Agree. Yeah. Now it's seven out of 10. The obesity rates in children have gone astronomical. There's kids with diabetes and heart disease as teenagers now. That's crazy. So they're going to model your behavior. So no matter what you're telling them, you have to start leading that. So if that needs to be your inspiration, you know, ask your kids or to just start, say, this is what we're going to start doing now. And here's why. And if we're going to still have our ice cream, we're going to still have our pizza, but it's going to be on occasion. Well, we always say like more is more is caught than taught, right? Like, yeah, my dad could say stuff or my mom could say stuff. And I would maybe listen sometimes. When you become a teenager, it's like, fuck it. Mom and dad are idiots until you get older and like, oh, yeah, they've already lived my life. They knew what they were talking about. But you would see what they would do. You'd see the behaviors. And obviously... People navigate your households, obviously how you see fit. But in my house, I'd be like, I don't want to eat that. My dad would be like, well, tough shit, dude. Yeah. Um, you'll come back and eat it when you're hungry. And he was right because I always did. I think, you know, and I'm going to generalize, females sometimes I think they have a hard time doing that because they're just, they're nurturing, they're loving, they care. I feel like a dude, I would not have a problem being like, fuck it, dude. Here's what you're going to eat. Here's how it's going to be. But it's like, it's, I guess, creating the culture is easier than like in then changing one. So I guess the earlier you can do it, probably more better off you guys will be. I'm having a deja vu uh, uh, moment. We had this conversation about culture and family last time you and I hung out. Um, but it's, it is. It's, it's a culture. It's a team effort. 
And, you know, there's going to be some compromise in some ways, but if you're committed to yourself, if you spend that time internally, you're, you're focused on you first and they'll follow along at least some, to the most part. And most clients I've coached throughout my career have, have been successful with themselves, whether it's a partial support or full support on the other side. Well, and the partner who wants to be healthier, like they're right. Like yep. you were in the right, you were trying to do something that's good for your husband and your wife and your family. Yeah. Like you were the, it's not debatable. It's not like who's better, Jordan or LeBron. Like you can do these debates all day if you want to. This is just a, this is the truth. Yeah. Like you're, these guys are fucking up and you're trying to unfuck their shitty habits. Yep. And they're going to fight you on it for sure. Yeah. You can go to bed with peace of mind, which I think is one of the biggest key things in life. And I've seen here over the last decade or so, like the... If you're willing to just, and again, I'm married, so like I'll, I'll die for certain things. Like there's certain arguments where like Heather's just gonna lose, and it's just how it's gonna be. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. Like you have to be willing to do that. And what you'll find is I think people will, because being healthy and being fit is super cool. It just is. It's the coolest thing that there is. People will gravitate towards that. You you might have to go through some battles and wear them down, but eventually I think they'll they'll come around. Yeah. Um, so the last question I'll ask, and this is probably more for. Um, like young coaches uh, and the people out there, since you've been doing this obviously forever, and I think anybody who, I mean, what are you in? You're 26? Yeah. That's fucking nuts, dude. Um, A, did you ever think you'd be in fitness for 26 years? No, not even close. No. Um, even when I put in both put both feet in, I was still thinking, what am I going to do next? Or what am I going to get my degree in psychology? Or what am I going to, you know? When am I going to get a real job? Yes. Yeah. And then it turned into this whole <laughs> kind of, it's it's changed a lot, obviously, and you've seen you've lived through the evolutions of all of it. But for the young um, coaches out there, maybe they're looking to make it a profession. They want to get into it. Um, they're you know just starting, or they're one or two years in the game. Like, what's any any words of wisdom? Follow your heart and um, and be truthful and ethical, man. There's a lot of people in this industry that. It's ego and image and all kinds of stuff. And I think that's in every industry. For sure. But, um, but you know, th there's so many amazing opportunities. People need, I mean, more than ever, people need help, right? I mean, we're, we're such an unhealthy society. So there's a million niches or niches within health and fitness and wellness. Find what you love and enjoy and go all in and have fun doing it because it's there's so rewarding to serve and help people and see people's lives be changed. I mean, it's just, it's a rock and roll lifestyle for me. I love it. Without all the drugs, some sex with my wife, it's good stuff. True, true. <laughs> well, I say too for these guys, like if you get into it because you love it and you enjoy it, like you'll be fine. It's going to work out. But if you get into it for, again, like especially when you started and I'm like, so if you're 96, I'm like 2005, which seems like a different life ago because none of these, this wasn't a thing. And, but I didn't do it like, oh, man, I'm going to be fake famous on the Internet. I'm going to, like, work with famous people. I'm going to make all this money. That was never the thing. Yeah. I just didn't want to hate my fucking life, like, for work, selfishly. And I'm like, I suck at everything else. And so this is the closest I'm going to get to being a pro athlete. So let's do it. And I found if you just – you kind of love doing that, you're going to make money. Th different things are going to happen. Like, you probably in 96 were not like, well, I'm going to – I'm going to hang out with Dr. Oz. I'm going to work with pro athletes. I'm going to be on Obama's, you know, fitness team. I'm going to write a book. Like that probably was never an idea. Not even close. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've lived how many places since then? Like, uh, Chicago, Iowa, and now Atlanta. And so, and you've been 
all over the world. You've done right. all these different things. And so that's kind of the cool thing where it's like, if you do it and you love it and you put the time into it, you're, even if you're an idiot, like you're going to learn a lot. I had a client fly me here a couple of times. She had a, her and her husband had a vacation home here and she's like, me and the ladies are going to do a week, week long weekend. Can you come and train us for the weekend? I'm like, sure. <laughs> they put me up in one of the rooms. And, and that's a crazy thing. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Like things like that where you never would imagine. But again, you put the time in, you care about the craft and you're, the point is you're helping these guys. Yeah. They saw this value in it to where they could get someone to come show them how to do squats. That's not hard at all. But they're flying you across the world to come do fitness and talk to them. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Pretty crazy. Uh, so where can these guys, uh, let's do book title, where can they find the book, buy it, and then like social media handles, wherever they can stock you. I'll put it all in the show notes too, but you just throw it. it out there. Yeah, it's called Say Goodbye to Belly Fat, Six Steps to Mastering Your Insulin and Losing Weight for Good. Um, the website to get the book is myforeverfatloss.com. Again, myforeverfatloss.com, all spelled out. Uh, I didn't want it to be, like I said, a book that you just sit down and read and got to read 300 pages. I made it a kind of a book that gives you step-by-step step and take actions. And I actually put a bunch of bonuses in there as well to help people like tracking forms, uh, workout videos, little things that they can follow, like those functional movement warm-ups, uh, just different things to really get people taking action and getting rid of that belly fat quicker. Uh, so you can get an ebook and or the paperback, either one. Nice, dude. Um, I'll put all the, the social handles uh, in there as well, but uh, it's good stuff, dude. Man, it's so great talking to you. We could talk for hours, right? <laughs> just, well, I know. It's like, well, and I say like when we do certain podcasts, I'm like, well, I have to like study and do this. And obviously like I read through the book and, but I mean, I could have wrote like 90% of that. You do, you go deeper on the, some other stuff than I do, uh, for sure. But <laughs> you've been, Mindfulness crap. Yeah. Well, no, I love I'm it though, stupid, but we, it's like, we're all from the same like we're all different, right? Like, like, like BJ, myself, you, David, Jack, like we all have these similar ideas because it's all rooted in the truth. Now how Dave does it and he's fitness Jesus. So he does what he does. You do it your way. BJ is like, doesn't give a fuck about anything. And then I'm like somewhere a mix of everybody. It's like, but we all say the same stuff. Yeah. You got to take care of yourself, be mindful, breathe, eat real food, get sleep, take care of yourself and do things that are not just productive today, but for the next 20 years. So we all preach similar things. You do it in a way where I think this is bite, bite sized. People can understand it. And there's actionable steps they can take right away, which to me, that's the biggest key. If you just said, Hey, here's 10,000 words. I'm like, what the hell are they going to do with that? Right. But when they can actually sit down and be like, okay, let me actually try these things. And if, if you listen for the last two and a half hours or so, like it's going to be helpful. So I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'll put all the stuff in the show notes. You guys can check it out. If you guys got a question, um, I'll put his Instagram on there. Um, all social handles. You can ask my questions, stalk them if you want to, uh, the books on there. And, uh, yeah, if you guys happen to be on uh, Apple podcast, drop it a five star, leave a comment. I'd appreciate it. And, uh, do you have another website or this is the main one you use? That's the main one I'm using and vitality by Sergio is the, the social handles. Boom. So yeah, stalk him. Just don't be a creep show. Uh, and we should be cool. I appreciate it, brother. Peace. As always. Uh, until next time, you guys, uh, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.